Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. All aboard! The Broadway Bullet! The Broadway Bullet! Welcome to Broadway Bullet, Volume 207. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and we've got an almost embarrassingly jam-packed episode. So many interviews, songs, performances... News, oh, just everything. We have got Karen Olivo currently starring on Broadway in The Heights, and we're going to hear some songs and some great stuff from her. We've also got an interview with the new Ethan Cohen play, Almost an Evening. We've got actors Jordan Lage and Mary McCann from that production here. We've got Jeremy Schoenfeld, who's uh, getting ready to promote his brand new solo CD, 37 Notebooks, playing live in the studio and talking to us. We're also going to hear from the production of the Caucasian Chalk Circle. We have got the dance troupe, Company 14. We're going to hear from the children's group out in Westshire, Little Fig Stage, and on the board, Sweet Mama String Bean. Uh, and Marty Cooper's here for On the Positive Side. Like I said, so much, so much. Also, I want to say some good news. Uh, we finally have got a solution about in place to uh, make use of our mailing list that people have been signing up for on the website. Um, it's been a little tight financially, and everybody I've tried to find to do something is just uh, not well expensive, but a little out of what I could afford. But we're finally going to be getting that going, which will mean more contests, more giveaways, ticket discounts, a lot of benefits for you guys. So if you haven't signed up for our mailing list, go to broadwaybullet.com and sign up as a user there so you can get on the list. And uh, also, while you're there, if you want, if you got a Facebook page, <laughs> click on the Facebook link and sign up there because that'll allow us even some more more spontaneous interaction. Maybe like get some user listeners uh, for questions for the people whatnot. So go to broadwaybullet.com and sign up as a user to get on the mailing list. I promise within a couple weeks you're going to be very glad you did with some stuff we got coming up. And sign up for our Facebook page. The link is right on the Broadway Bullet page on the right-hand side for some interaction. Okay, well, we've got such a packed show that I can't talk much more. Let's get rolling. On the boards. Multiple Oscar winner Ethan Cohen is making his legit debut as a playwright with the Atlantic Theatre Company's presentation of Almost an Evening, who was a hit earlier on at Stage 2 and has moved to 45 Bleecker Street for an extended run. And we are so pleased to have two of the actors from the cast, Jordan Lage and Mary McCann, here with us. How are you guys doing? Hi. Good, thank you. So, what's it like working uh, with a playwright that's an Oscar winner? <laughs> uh, well, I, I guess he was an Oscar winner before we began working on the play, but now he's a multiple Oscar winner along with his brother. Um, it was pretty exciting. Uh, I was well. I found it terrifying, and um, because in, uh, inevitably in the rehearsal process, I'll speak for myself. There are moments when you're really bad, and you go from reading the play. The first read through was really funny, and then you take it apart in the room with just a couple people, and it gets less and less and less funny. So um, just you know, going for it, knowing you're going to be bad in front of Ethan Cohen, and trusting that he'll want to stick with you till you get better again, was um, was nerve wracking <laughs> and fun. Yeah, but we we managed to. Um, I, I don't know. I found it. I found us cracking up daily yes, throughout and rehearsal and thinking it was the funniest thing since sliced bread. Um, 
And it, that never seemed to, to me to wane, which was pretty amazing. Yeah. Because most times you do a comedy and you begin to hear the jokes second, third, fourth time, and it's really old and tired and dead, you know, like three or four times down the line. <laughs> but every day we were going into rehearsal and just cracking ourselves up. And it was fun to see because Ethan was always laughing in the corner. And there were definitely moments of going, oh, my God, that's Ethan Cohen, and he's laughing at what we're doing. And it was, it was really great. Yeah, so it was a funny play. I, I mean, it probably should be said at the outset, and this yeah. probably comes as a great relief to your listeners, that uh, Almost an Evening is even funnier than No Country for Old Men. <laughs> I found no country for old men a laugh. This <laughs> probably a good time to, to say what, what what almost an evening is about. It's it's three short plays, you know, comedy strung together. Um, what 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 about them kind of binds them all together? And well, I think what uh, what binds them together is their playwright. But other than that, Bobby, what <laughs> are these plays about? Not a thing. Um, existential angst. I don't know. Maybe. There's a certain degree in, uh, yeah, in all three of them, really. You know, the main characters yeah. kind of uh, begin thinking about their, their own existence and, and where they are in the world or where they, would like where to they be, might not yeah. be in the world. Yeah. And uh, they get bollocked up about it. So kind of like an existential current funny Pinter. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pinter's yeah. funny. I think Pinter's, I for one think Pinter's hilarious. I was laughing so hard during the... Uh, recent revival The Homecoming my wife had to hit me but that's just me <laughs> so <And her. laughs> tell us a little bit about the, the piece that you're in in the show okay <clears throat> well I'm in two out of three okay. oh you're okay Jordan's in three oh out okay of three. So, uh, trifecta okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first one takes place in a waiting room how much do we give away in this thing <laughs> everything but the jokes okay uh, so it takes place in a waiting room and a guy trying to figure out where he is. And um, I play a secretary who does a lot, a lot of typing. And um, tell the rest of what it's about. Well, um, it should also be said that, that Mary's character in, in Waiting has its antecedents in Javier Bardem's character in No Country for Old Men. <laughs> <laughs> right down to the haircut. <laughs> Um, My hair does play almost a big, <laughs> as big a role in our little play as mm. his does in his part. It kind of does. It kind of does. <laughs> you all, you never see my face, and so I, you, the, the characters, you know. But people, people would come away from seeing the first piece in Almost an Evening, which is called Waiting. People would come away from that saying, you know what, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind having Mary McCann's hair in that. However, <laughs> yeah. I don't think the same could be said of Harvey Bardem's. Yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. So anyway, so, the, so the, for the first piece is about this, this poor schlub played by Joey Slotnick, who... Um, winds up, uh, turns out that he finds out that he's dead and um, discovers that he's in pur purgatory and has to go through um, hoops and uh, fire to uh, make his way eventually to heaven. And uh, whether or not that actually happens, well, you'll just have to come and see the play. <laughs> so that's the first piece. Yeah. And the second piece is called Four Benches. And um, that takes place in a steam bath. So all you aficionados of the, the Ritz you know, make sure you get down to the theaters at 45 Bleecker Street and uh, check this one out. I think you can see some flesh. <laughs> there's a little bit of flesh going on. <laughs> yeah. And you can see half of Booby, which is, you know, not bad. Mm -hmm. And the last one is uh, called Debate, in which uh, two sort of mirror opposites of, uh, of God um, duke it out uh, verbally and physically. Yes, and physically, for sure, <laughs> yeah. Um, about how to uh, about how their acolytes should conduct themselves. All right. So, 
no, away from almost needing for a little bit. Both of you have got so much on your resume. You've been working very consistently for quite a while, and I'm kind of curious to maybe if each of you could maybe bring up like a, a highlight or something particularly interesting that you've done over. <laughs> Blank sure. stare. So uh, much. Sure. No, no. I, I, I mean, pick one from a 25-year career. I feel really lucky because I feel like I've had the opportunity, obviously, to work with great directors, but really great um, playwrights, including people like David Mamet and Jez Butterworth, Tom Donaghy, and uh, Craig Lucas, who's one of my favorite playwrights. And then recently working with Todd Field on Little Children, you know, to have an opportunity to work with a, a filmmaker like that. And now with Ethan, I feel... Very, very lucky. Yeah. Um, the great thing also about, you know, Mary and I are founding members of Atlantic, which we uh, we were classmates together uh, studying acting at NYU with uh, our teachers, uh, David Mamet and William H. Macy. And um, we formed Atlantic back in 1985. And, uh, you know, Mary and I have in one form or another been playing either husband and wife or boyfriend and girlfriend <laughs> or, you know, people at each other's, generally people at each other's throats for decade, two and a half decades now. And um, it's been a lot of fun. And we've done some, you know, I'm just thinking, thinking about the highlights I've had with Mary on stage and some of the things that come to mind. We did a version of, uh, we did a production of Mammoth's play The Woods, which was um, one of the favorite things I've ever worked on in my uh, career. And we also did a great old John Guare play, um, this big Civil War epic called Women and Water, which was uh, just a blast to do. And uh, We were 12 at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so those are some of the highlights I've had with Mary. We've John done Guare. tons of other plays uh, as well. As so kind of how does the ensemble with the Atlantic Theatre Company work? Is it, do you guys get some input and kind of help look out for you know, shows that have great roles for the participating members kind of? And every kind of ensemble has its own like kind of dynamic, and I'm I'm wondering a little bit of how that works out with the Atlantic. It it goes both ways and and has evolved. I mean, now there are Neil, the artistic director, who happens to be my husband, will look for plays um, that have roles for company members, and then the trick is whether or not the company members are actually available to do the roles. <laughs> um, and then I also help push through a play called Body Awareness, which I'm doing next at Atlantic because it was a part that I really wanted to do in that, and that has now worked out, and I'll be doing that later um, in the early summer. So, so yeah, we have an ensemble, and Neil t looks to the ensemble to cast as many people as he can, as often as he can, and uh, and hopefully we're available to do it. Yeah, it, you know, it generally it generally comes down to, um, you know, if people within the ensemble are, are really hot to do a project, you just bring it to Neil and... Um, uh, you know, he'll discuss it and decide if it's right for the company at the time and decide if it's right for the ensemble as a whole. And, uh, you know, over the years, it's, it's been a great way of getting some, I, I think, excellent productions up on the boards. And we've done, I've helped to um, promote revivals of Mammoth's Plates, Edmund and The Water Engine. That was a great production. That was really fun. And um, uh, Pinter's play, uh, The Hot House. And those, those are all kind of all... Uh, you might term it homegrown, you know, generated from within uh, the ensemble and starting out initially as readings and then working their way up to workshops and stuff like that to eventually to full productions. And there's also an acting school at the Atlantic. Right? Yes, there is. Yeah, we the, the company was actually formed through... Um, 
through the acting school, which is David and, as Jordan said, David and Bill were teaching um, a workshop at, at NYU 25 years ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, through that workshop, they formed Atlantic. And since that time, we have continued on with the school. So um, we have a three-year program through New York University through the undergrad program, and we have a two-year conservatory program. We have several private class, I mean, part-time classes, and now we're even doing after-school classes for kids ages four to through high school. So, and, so. You're, and you're the director of that program. I'm the director right? of that, yeah. yeah. So, it must be yeah. exciting. Now, Atlantic has been on like kind of a buzz zeitgeist in the theater world, I think, ever since, you know, Spring Awakening, you know, there, um, and you actually were one of the originating yeah. members yeah. of Spring Awakening. Hmm, which kid were you? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I wish I was a kid and I wish I could sing. I wish I looked like that. Oh, my God. I love those guys. So huh. was, was it a hard decision not moving on with the show to Broadway, or is it more fun for you to be able to then take on and do all these different... It's been really fun to do all these different things, and also I have a little girl, and, and quite frankly, right, even doing this show, and I'm doing one more, I'm going to need to take a break so I can be home at bedtime, because it's, it's hard to miss bedtime after a few months, and I feel like I need to be there until she's big enough that she doesn't want me around for that. Our solution is we just keep her up till 11. <laughs> but she's not in school. Lena has to be at school at 8 o'clock oh, no, in the morning. Gets, she, my nan goes to school. <laughs> she goes to school. And has it felt any different in Atlantic since the, kind of the buzz is in, you know, the buzz in the theater world, is, you know, there's definitely a big spotlight on Atlantic now, you know, because, you know, it's kind of a hip and it develops nice, you know, fun, current, you know, those plays that speak to, a, you know, a current younger sensibility. Has that some of that buzz reflected in, on more pressure on the company? Have you felt anything, or is it more exciting? Is it more free because of that? How does how does that attention change the dynamics? Of it? Well, I I think it's you know I think a lot of things came together at the same time, which is that one I think there's more pressure not because of Spring Awakening, but because real estate is so expensive. We moved into a new space, and it's just harder. I would say probably for any theater would agree to pay the rent, so that makes it harder to choose plays. The great thing about Spring Awakening and the other, you know, the success we've had around that and and other shows of the last few seasons is that more people turn up, which is you know what we're doing it for. So that's really nice. Yeah, there might be a little bit more pressure on main stage productions. Our our, our main theater is on Twentieth Street and in a former parish house, uh, St. Peter's Episcopal, um, and we now also have a the smaller Stage Two theater, which is on Sixteenth Street. Or both theaters in Chelsea, um, but the small theater on 16th Street, which is about what, almost about two years old now, yeah. which is where almost an evening began back in January. Um, there's a little less pressure, I think, for a show there to be a hit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Either absolutely. critically or, or financially. Um, it's a 99-seat black box theater. It's a gorgeous, brand-new space. And uh, there, there just aren't the same sort of, um, you know, uh, it's not the same kind of push to make those productions you know, appeal to a, a wide, wide audience, which is kind of nice. So we, consequently, we were able to do things that we really, really love to do. Yeah. Now, you were also on, on Broadway last year, yeah. Jordan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you want to tell our, tell our listeners about, a little bit about that experience? Oh, yeah, it was wonderful. We did a, I was in the revival of Inherit the Wind with Brian Danahy and uh, Chris Plummer, and um, I, had a, I had a blast, and Doug Hughes directed it and he did a magnificent job. And uh, for me, it was like being schooled every single night I was out there on stage watching Plummer and Dennehy just, you know, do their thing. 
uh, it was uh, just a, just a wonderful you know, wonderful work experience and a wonderful educational experience from the point of view of being being an actor and, and loving the craft and wanting to you know wanting to improve um, you know for my money it's rare when you get to work with actors of that caliber and uh, most especially working with Plummer was uh, you know you know I think a highlight of my career it was a lot of fun when you're working with some besides yourselves you got a, a fantastic cast assembled for almost an evening yeah I, I feel the same way with this cast I mean it's really it, it's an amazing group of people and um, just to watch people um, to stay in the process and working, working. These are three short plays. I, I was talking to Mark Lynn Baker at the bar the other night about how, um, how, how tricky these, you know, they seem small, but they're very tricky plays to do, and especially over a long run, and how you stay on that tightrope of keeping them fresh and funny and all of that stuff, and to have people like Mark and Murray every day working it out and working it out. and. It's yeah, F. Murray just, Abraham, for our listeners who don't know that it's in the, yes. it's in the show. Yeah. Um, uh, it has been great. And the, the ensemble, this ensemble is, um, it's just been a blast. It's really, you know, been, you know, people without egos and really there to have a good time. It's just been, it really has been a great time. Yeah, we all, we all get along famously, except for, you know, Murray's occasional hissy fits. But, you know, we tolerate him. <laughs> we were warned about him. And we can put up with one occasionally, you know, him being an Oscar winner and all that. You know, he's willing to give an inch or two. How many Oscars are in this show? That's true. <laughs> Do they bring him around? Between the Coen brothers, oh, there's about Do they, four there. Do they reserve Murray's seats in fifth. the theater? <laughs> uh, yeah. But every, we get along famously, and Mary touched on briefly the uh, the funny thing about comedy, and I've experienced this doing other comedies as well. Uh, Shel Silverstein comes to mind, for example. The audience's reaction can be drastically different from night to night. You know, one night they can be laughing uproariously, and then another night you're wondering why, wondering why, why, why don't they seem to be getting it? Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if that's other actors' uh, experience with, with comedy as well, but that certainly seems to be mine. Oh, I think it sure is. But the good, the, good, the good news is with this is, particularly after the move, the, um, when we have a lot of people in the house, the house is really, it's a funky theater, and you get all the right information coming in, which is this is funky and downtown and a little bit grungy, and what is this about? And it sets the right tone for the pieces, which are, are really funny and, and funky. Um, so it has been really fun to play down there because the audiences have been young and really enjoying themselves. And uh, also, by the by, we have a um, a 10 o'clock show, our one and only at this point 10 o'clock show this Friday night, and they're selling $20 tickets for that performance. And so we want to get a really young crowd who wants the, the, to stay yeah, up $20 late. $20 is a, a Broadway Bullet exclusive, I believe. Oh, good. There's a code they have to go. They can go to, uh, uh, <coughs> they can go to all, almost an evening slash uh, Broadway Bullet to oh, get good. access to those. Yeah, so we're looking for, for the a, 25th. The 25th, a young, you know, young crowd who wants to stay out late. Yeah, and if you don't know the area, it's it's a really cool area. Broadway and I'm sorry, Bleecker and Lafayette Street. That area down there is is uh, of late become yeah. the the trendy place in the city to be. There's great bars and great restaurants and stuff. And you're you're in and out of our show intermissionless and under 90 minutes, which was ideal. Yeah, you'll see yeah. us at the bar by 9:30. Yeah, well, 
It'll be a late night that night, but you know, 11.30 on Friday. <laughs> Busy with so many events going on, and you've got a gala on Monday for we the Atlantic City? We have a gala on Monday, which I think will be great. A few years back, we did this. Um, David Pitu, who was last seen in, on Broadway in, what show? Come on, the David Ives. In Love Music. Well, in Love Music. Love Music wasn't last yet. The David yeah. Ives. Yeah. Easy Dead, the Mark Twain. Um, mm-hmm. But he wrote... Um, uh, why can't it be a musical? And he, so he's spoofing different things that really should not be musicals. And it, he did it before. It's hilarious. And uh, it's starring F. Marie Abraham and our own Kristen Johnston. And it's going to be a great event Monday night at the Rainbow Room. Yeah. All right. So Almost an Evening is at 45 Bleecker. Uh, we've got a, a great discount offer by going to uh, almostevening.com slash Broadway Bullet. Um, I'll tell a little bit more about this. And... Uh, I thank you so much, Jordan Lage and Mary McCann, for coming down and chatting about the show and, and your careers. There's, there's so much to talk about. It would be great to be able to sit here and chat for a while. But <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's been thank a Thank you. Okay, best of luck with the rest of the run. Thanks. Thanks. So remember, we got some special things just for you Broadway Bullet listeners. Go to almostanevening.com slash broadwaybullet to find out about your $35 special tickets. It's good for any night of the entire run except for Saturday nights, or to find out about that special $20 ticket for that one night only, Friday, April 25th. Hey, and where else are you going to find that many Oscar winners for just 35 bucks? Up close. Well, it's official. In the Heights has moved from off-Broadway to Broadway. It's gotten great reviews. It's getting great attendance. And last year, when it was in the 37 Arts Center, we had the writers Lin-Manuel Miranda and Kiara Hudes in the studio to talk, and now that it's on Broadway, I wanted to get in one of the lead actresses from the show that I was really impressed with when I saw, I haven't seen the Broadway production yet, but I saw it in 37 Arts, and Karen Olivo, who has seen in a few things, is always fantastic, and I think this is a great role for her, and she's decided to stop by the studio to share a little bit about the show and her career with us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So you got two shows today, huh? Yeah, two shows. Great day to do an interview. Uh, no, it's you know it's good to get up and get moving before you got two of them. So yeah, I have no problem with it. So I guess the first question I want to ask as a, as an actress, you know, when you make this transfer, you had a few months off. Actually, it was almost six months, wasn't it? Oh no, no, I think it was closer to three. And oh, was it just three? Okay. What yeah. what is it like jumping back into a role after taking? that kind of a break on it? Is it refreshing or is it like then trying to rediscover the same pieces again? Well, we ended in a really special place. We had just won, you know, the Drama Desk Awards and, you know, Lynn had racked up all these different awards and Andy had won all these awards. So we were really pumped to keep moving. And, um, you know, scheduling conflicts made it so that we had to wait. Um, so everyone sort of scattered to the winds as far as uh, we tried to find anything and everything we could do to keep our minds occupied. You know, all of us wanted to keep working on it, but then we realized, you know, it's not going to happen. So I actually did other stuff. I actually did hair in the park, uh, which was an amazing experience. Um, and, uh, you know, everything was sort of like... Um, it, find something to occupy your time until you get back to what you really, really want to do. Uh, so it was bittersweet. You know, I had such a great time doing other projects, but it was all sort of like watching the clock, <laughs> 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 trying to get back to what I wanted to do. So what are the biggest differences for you as a performer, and I guess, and for the show, being uh, in the 37 Arts Center, which is a very nice off-Broadway house, and moving to Broadway, the the size of the stage, the audience 
does it change anything? It, yeah, everything has changed. You know, our production off-Broadway was... Um, it was intimate in a different way than it is now. We, you know, as far as actors, we were on top of each other. It was like all of the women were in one dressing room. We shared one bathroom. And the same with the men. We had, There were just two dressing rooms downstairs. No star treatment? No. <laughs> I mean, even now, I mean, none of us were, <laughs> we're all the same, um, even on Broadway. But um, – and, and then on top of that, as far as the stage was concerned, there was no wing space and there was only one way to get onto the stage and it was a spiral staircase. And it was it was one of the craziest theater experiences I've ever had. I've done theater my entire life. And to not have wing space, you, you really, you don't, you can't even do a show when you think about it. Um, we had to like really time out entrances and exits, and so everything was orchestrated. And from, it was a large cast. Yeah, there was twenty-one of us, I believe. Everything was orchestrated, and so we were constantly on top of each other. So we really got very, very close. And now within the move, it, this amazing thing has happened. So we're all family now, but we're scattered. <laughs> we're on two opposite sides of the of the theater. Everyone, almost everyone, has their own dressing room. Um, but the most important thing that we pulled back from 37 Arts is that community, which I think really you really see when you come to see the show. We're all family, and we really are having that much fun on stage, which is great. <laughs> well, one of the things I think is great about the show is, you know, at least, you know, especially off-Broadway, is marketed as new. You know, it's a Latino hip-hop, you know, pop music kind of all fused together. And, mm-hmm. and the biggest thing I liked about it is, indeed, it was all that, but it was actually really musical theater i think you know when i was when i originally went i was expecting to be more like okay it's gonna be a lot of music but it's not necessarily really going to be you know musical theater but it's very in a lot of ways it's very disney-esque almost traditional kind of family story yeah lynn's done an amazing job with staying true to the the convention of musical theater i mean he's he's been a fan his entire life and you know luckily for us he's also been a fan of pop culture. So he's been able to meld these two things in a way that I don't think anyone else has been able to do. And then we had Tommy Kale and Andy Blankenbuehler, who are, they're so great at what they do. Um, You know, Andy's great with staging and musical theater, and he's been in this in the industry for so long. And Tommy has a really good way of being very honest about things. Um, and I think that everyone together sort of made this thing work um, in a way that we didn't we didn't uh, we didn't cut out the great things about musical theater, you know. <laughs> um, but we tried to expand on them and tried to make them uh, edgier in a different way, not necessarily dark, but um, innovative. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I've, I'm a huge musical theater nerd. Uh, you know, I was the kid who was, like, constantly watching PBS just on the off chance that I would get to see something. Um, and um, and I, I don't know. I feel like this is, the, this is the next step. I think that they've done a really good job with being respectful and standing on other people's shoulders and, um, and just moving us forward. And hopefully finding another audience, you know, popular music is, you know, it's everywhere. And I feel like those kids, if only they could relate to uh, relate to characters on a stage singing the music that they that they get. I think we have a whole new we have a whole new audience. Well, I've always wondered why so many composers or producers felt it was impossible to kind of do a more popular, you know, pop kind of musical because quite frankly you know in the 50s and the 40s that's what it was it was the popular music of the time 
you know, you know, set the story and, and the same thing characters. And then it kind of, not that I, I like all forms of musical theater and I, right. and I like the, you know, musical theater sound, but I also felt that for a long time, it's just like too many people seem to think that it just wasn't doable. Well, it's authenticity. I think that Lynn really is a true fan of popular music. And because of that, he wouldn't, there's no way that he would put a, a homogenized version of what he knows to be true. You know, he really does, he, he's a huge fan of Jay-Z and, you know, lots of rappers. And then, you know, pretty much anything on the top 40, he he. He knows. He could probably quote D right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so those things melded with, you know, you know the, the Cole Porters and the Gershwins and all of that. Um, it, it's about truth. And that's the only – I think that's the only reason that it hasn't worked up until now. You can't find a composer that is born and bred in musical theater and tries to dip their toe into the popular music because it's, it's just it's not a real fit, you know. And you have someone who loves both so much that – you know, he can just make it work. Um, I think lots of people will do it from now on, you know? Mm-hmm. That's the most exciting thing about being in this show. I think that a lot of people will see it and, and be like, oh, well, I get these, I get this and I get this. So if I put them together, I can make something wonderful too. And then we'll have all different kinds of things on Broadway. <laughs> Maybe we'll have like a new jazz musical or I don't know. I, I'm, I don't know. I'm excited about it. Well, well tell us about your character in, in The Heights. Um, well, my, I play Vanessa, a girl who works in the salon, who has huge, huge dreams, uh, but um, but is sort of set back by where she comes from and who she's involved with uh, family-wise. And uh, um, I think it's, it's so funny. I, I find myself playing uh, myself about 10 years ago. <laughs> I, you know, I lived in Florida and I was, you know, I was in a really small community that didn't believe in, you know, the arts and things like that. And I always dreamed of getting to a place where I could express myself artistically and be in a community that accepted what I did and um, didn't think I was a freak. <laughs> and, you know, it was always dreaming. It was constantly dreaming. And that's what my character does. She's stuck in a place and she knows that there's another way of of meeting her goals, and she's not going to stop until she finds that. Well, why don't we take a listen to one of the songs from the show? Um, I'll, I'll make an announcement at the end of this. I'm not sure if this is going to be the, the demo that you did with Thing, or we might get an early advanced copy from Shikaboom Records mm-hmm. uh, from the cast album. But this is uh, one of your songs from the show. Do you want to set up how this fits in? So it, would be, it won't be long now, and it's the moment that uh, Vanessa sort of steps out of her daily life and allows herself to reflect on where she is, why she hates it, and why she's getting out, and how she'll do it. All right, let's take a listen. The elevated train by my window doesn't faze me anymore. The rattling screams don't disrupt my dreams. It's a lullaby in its way. Cause I never let them stay And one day I'm hopping in an elevated train And I'm riding away yeah. It won't be long now Boys around the way holler at me When I'm walking down the street They're my cheese smoke pride Doesn't break my stride It's a compliment so they say 
got some schmutz on your face. Daniela needs produce crates. Sunny, boxes. Good morning, good morning. Vanessa. Vanessa, yeah, yeah. Vanessa. Vanessa! Do you think every day's a holiday? One, one moment of your time. Usnavi's been meaning to ask you. Are you going to Nina's welcome home dinner? Yes. It's at 8 o'clock. Nina's house. Dinner. We should sit next to each other. At the table. Uh, and afterwards, you two should hang out at Usnavi's place. Sounds better than sitting in the dark with my mother. Usnavi will bring the wine. Dominican Republic, I haven't forgotten you. Gonna see this honey, make a little money, and one day I'll hot jet blue. But until that painful day, I'm grateful I got a destination. I'm running to make it home, and home's what Vanessa's running away from. I'm running to make it home, home's what Vanessa's running away from. The neighborhood salon is the place I am working for the moment. As I cut their hair, ladies talk and share Every day, who's doing who and why The neighborhood salon doesn't pay me what I wanna be making But I don't mind As I sweep the curb, I can hear those turbo engines Blazing a trail through the sky I look up and think about the years gone by But one day, I'm walking at JFK And I'm gonna fly It won't be long now Any day Now, career-wise, you've also been you were one of the originals in Brooklyn on Broadway. Mm -hmm. And I know, for instance, that you've done at least, uh, you know, I know you did the original Party Come Here with uh, yes. David Kirschenbaum. So yes. for such a young actress, you've gotten involved on the ground floor, originating a lot of roles in musicals. And I know that's a very different thing to work and network in than strictly auditioning, just getting cast in theater. And so having had that success, getting in and, and working on roles you know for the first time I'm kind of curious on your take of how you you obviously have a love for doing that and I know it I know from talking with a lot of actors that there's you know actors that have been on Broadway for you know 20 years who've never originated anything right and I'm kind of curious your take on on what different tactics it takes to actually get that first role um, well I I learned really early on that I was not a specific type uh, because of what I look like and my heritage, I, I fall into all these different categories. So I knew that I would never be a chorus girl because uh, I didn't dance nearly well enough. <laughs> <laughs> and I wouldn't be an ingenue because I'm, I look so exotic. Um, and so I started to find that what I could do well was build things from the ground up. So um, 
you know, and then my voice type on top of it. You know, I was trained classically, but what I choose to do and what I love to do uh, is more rocky, poppy, lots of belty stuff. Um, so that sort of uh, that pushed me in an, in an area that involved people who wanted to innovate, people who wanted to do something that wasn't a classical musical theater piece. Um, and so I sort of latched on to any project that was was not formed completely. You know, a lot of times the things that I would be a part of, like Brooklyn specifically, they said, well, we don't know what this is yet. These are the guidelines. This is the blueprint. Can you fill in the blanks? And um, and I, I find I find that that's the most challenging thing for me. I love to just I love to paint. I love to paint a character and and um, and most of the time people like what I come up with and then it works and then we you know we put a production up. Um, but it, I don't know. I've never just been able to fit into the molds. So I think that that's where my career sort of landed me. What other what what tactics like you know career wise business wise have you I, taken to find those opportunities? I don't know that I, I, yeah I don't <laughs> know that there's tactics honestly it's it literally has to do with reading a script seeing if it moves you and um, and it, does the music move you and then I would go in that direction. Um, if it, honestly it, I guess if there was a tactic it would be not doing things that I think have been done before. That would be staying away from the things that I think I've seen. Uh, if it reminds me of something, then I'm not really that interested in it because I'm sure someone's done it and they've done it well. So why even, you know, <laughs> why try to redo it? Um, anything that's sort of out of the box, I think I tried to I tried to latch myself to. If yeah, I don't know. So tell us a little bit about your experience with Brooklyn. Okay. Um, that was your Broadway debut. No, 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 actually, no. That's right. You were in. I was in, in Rent. Rent. Yeah. yeah. Many, many years ago. <laughs> um, yeah, well, Brooklyn was a very interesting experience because that was literally, it was like a blueprint. It, they, they had no idea what they wanted. Actually, when I auditioned for it, I initially auditioned for the role of Brooklyn, and they weren't even sure how many people would be in it. They didn't know anything. Um, and uh, then somehow they decided that it was going to be a troop of homeless people on the street. And... Um, and, you know, and then we found Eden, who's like this ridiculous talent who can sing anything and sounds gorgeous doing it. Um, and it sort of formed around her. And then we, you know, then we added Ramona Keller. And then all of these things sort of piled up. And, and I found that um, my, my uh, what I was supposed to do in it initially sort of, uh, formed into the supporting cast. So there were five people in it, and I was really mm -hmm. the only supporting cast member. And I found that to be a huge challenge. Um, and I don't know, you, did you see the show? No, I didn't get a chance Basically, to see that what you would have seen <laughs> is me singing back up on almost every number and me changing all the, all the sets. What we had was uh, a street, basically, and we used garbage as scenery. And so... Um, I would run around and change the set, and then people would act in it, and I would sing back up, and then they were they were done, and I would move things back around. <laughs> so that was hugely challenging for me. Well, that, and that's why we had this, you know, the set, you know, the the technician strike or the <laughs> exactly. strikes. Honestly, I figured it was cheaper to hire an actor than. <laughs> I used to say that I should have been an IATSE. I used to say they should really they should let me be a part of that union, but. Um, yeah, it it was a very interesting experience, and I'd never been in such a small company on Broadway, and um, yeah, I mean, 
you'll, well, you'll hear. It, it's a very interesting uh, a piece. And so well, we, well, you did have one song in yes. the show, so and we were going to play it here. Yeah. It, I, it was uh, a duet that I sang with uh, a man called Taylor Collins, who was my love, and um, called Christmas Makes Me Cry, uh, which is a very odd name for um, a song, but if you saw the show, you'd get it. Um, very sentimental and, um, and sweet and sad. Yeah. All right, let's take a listen. <gasps> Mommy, look, it's snowing! People out there giving Celebration in the air Midnight bells are ringing It's snowing everywhere Do you think it's snowing where Daddy is? Everyone's with someone But for you and I I couldn't wait for Christmas Now Christmas makes me cry But far from Paris In the land of the free and the home of the brave Another voice cries out Santa Claus is just a man Wearing funny clothes Rudolph's just a song Somebody has composed People are a-caroling But I won't even try I used to sing at Christmas Now Christmas makes me Cause everyone's with someone who they love Everyone's with someone who they love Everyone's with someone but for you Now Christmas makes me cry Madame and Monsieur, Le Grand Jeté is proud to present the Parisian Butterfly in her tour de force, the unfinished lullaby. Oh, the only prop on stage, a hangman's noose. Placing the coarse rope around her neck, she would ascend to unknown heights. Suddenly she would drop from the rafters swaying and dance at the end of a noose, then floating to the stage like a summer butterfly. Audiences would cheer, bravo, magnifique. Bravo, magnifique. But all that love and adulation could not fill the hole in Faith's young soul, a soul left empty by Taylor Collins. Used to laugh at Christmas. Now Christmas makes me cry. So, on a cold, snowy Christmas night, Faith 
the Parisian butterfly ended her dance. Mommy? In death. So did you train? Uh, you know, did you go to university, kind of go to the typical route? I did. I, I went to Cincinnati Conservatory of Music as a musical theater major. And um, I would have graduated if I had not booked a Broadway gig um, right before my senior year. But it, it was one of the most amazing experiences. You know, I'd always been in theater. Since, I'd been in theater since I was seven or eight. Um, and I, you know, I sang, but I had never been classically trained and, you know, danced and stuff like that, but never had any training. So going to uh, Cincinnati Conservatory of Music was, I mean, it was the fast track. You know, it's such an intense program there. Um, the dancing and the singing, and I, I got to. My, my voice teacher was was um, <laughs> my printer just started going yeah, for no like, reason. <laughs> would the printer like to say something? We could stop and let the printer say something. Um, my voice teacher was a uh, was an opera voice teacher, so I, I really I had the benefit of working with someone who really really knows what she's talking about. <laughs> and for someone, I mean, I'd never had any training, so there were so many different um, bad habits that she had to clear me of. But uh, once that was done, I really came into my voice and learned how to use it in the way that I would like to use it, not the way I was told to use it, which was really great. And it's, you know, it serviced me my entire career. Um, I, I don't have a typical musical theater voice and... Um, and I'm, I'm glad. Uh, and I think it all has to do with the training that I got at Cincinnati Conservatory of Music. So are you looking at, you know, well, you're immersed on Broadway at the moment, but career-wise as an actress, how do you have to look, Derek? Are you looking ahead for further projects? Are you kind of keeping your name out there, your eye out there for things that... You know, Lynn and I had this conversation the other day at dinner, and he was like, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to do TV? you want to do film? you want to do this? you want to do that? And I've done some TV, and I've done some film. Um, but honestly, the only thing that I want to do is make good art. So in whatever medium it comes, I'm going to try and do it. I, I try not to plan it out because it's such a—this it, is such a crazy— career. <laughs> like, there's no way to really, there's no five-year plan. There's no, you know, you can't really make anything happen. Um, you have to wait for people to be inspired and for projects to emerge. And um, and so I'm kind of just, I don't know, being really open-minded about it and waiting for the next, you know, the next thing that piques my interest to come along in whatever medium, you know. I, I'm pretty easy. <laughs> as long as it's good, I'll, I'll probably do it. <laughs> So, wrapping back around to uh, In the Heights, uh, have you noticed a difference in the audiences between when it was off-Broadway versus Broadway? Yeah, 37 Arts was a great space, but it was so far out of the way that people would probably get lost getting there, you know? I love that theater. I'm really, I really yeah, wish it, more people would. It's comfortable. It's like got yeah. roomy seats and yeah. technical aspects are great there. It, it really feels to me, I mean, I guess the backstage, which you described, but yeah. from the audience perspective, it just feels like a smaller, really nice, comfortable Broadway, you know. But I think we lost a lot of the yes. tourists, and I think that's one of the most amazing things for us right now. I'm I'm finding, you know, we're doing collections for BCEFA right now, so a lot of times we end up being out in the audience to collect funds. And we. Um, I, I'm coming across so many different people from so many different walks of life, and that's what's amazing. Uh, you know, obviously those people never would have found us on 37 Arts, but being right next to TKTS and, you know, being right in the heart of Midtown, uh, it 
it makes a difference. I'm finding that people from like all different ages, you know, like elderly women come up and they're like, this is my favorite. I loved when you guys were doing this and the salsa. It made me want to dance. And um, yeah, the audiences are so diverse. Young kids and their parents like it. And uh, I don't know that I've ever been in a, in a show that can do that, can appeal to so many different demographics without meaning to, you know? We didn't orchestrate this. We just tried to be honest and, mm-hmm. and make good, good art, and it ended up, you know, appealing to a wide variety of people, which is a godsend. And the cast album has been recorded now and sure is coming has. out in June, I believe. Yeah, I don't know. You'd know better than I. I, I just do it. <laughs> so how was the experience of recording the cast album? Oh, it was wonderful. You know, you, the cast is so amazing. We love each other so much. And work for us is like playing. And we love to do it right. And we liked, you know, our favorite thing is to get it perfect. So we got in there and we just, we barreled through that entire thing with smiles on our faces. And I think that that really does come across. I mean, was this done? I mean, most albums are done in a day or two. I don't know how many listeners realize because of all the union regulations and everything. So how does, how crazy does that feel going for perfection, but knowing you got to get through it all like... Well, we we did this amazing thing. We um, Andreas Levine was our uh, our producer, and he was really good about like the big production numbers going from beginning to end. We tried to really not punch in and like fix specific sections or lines unless we had to. So we'd do full passes, and it was the closest thing to actually uh, doing it live that you could that you could think of. Um, we a lot of us could see each other, so there was. You know, we could do our scene work, you know, as we were doing the songs and stuff like that, which was really important. And um, and because of it, I think that 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 sort of uh, that the energy that you see on stage will be apparent in the soundtrack. Um, yeah, we weren't like meticulous. And and more often than not, he would be like intention, intention. Don't worry about notes, intention. And that gave us a freedom to really just be in the moment, even though we were in, you know, like <laughs> little <laughs> little booths. Um, but no, I think that um, it was a, it was an amazing experience. And I, I think when you hear it, you'll you'll get it. <laughs> All right. So. Um in the Heights, playing on Broadway from now until... Uh, whenever. Whenever. <laughs> <laughs> and Karen Olivo, I am so glad that you came down to talk with me and our listeners, and I, I wish you the best of luck as you go forth in your career. Well, thank you so much. The Call Board. All right, first up, the star of the HBO original series Entourage, Jeremy Pivens, has been announced as the first to be cast in the up-and-coming revival of David Mamet's Speed the Plow. There have been no other cast announcements yet, nor has a theater been announced for the housing of Mammoth's satire about Hollywood and its players. Neil Pepe, artistic director of Atlantic Theater Company, is helming the production, and the theater will be announced by October 23rd. Next, a fundraising event to star Michael Getz, Tom Jones, and Daniel Richard, with all the proceeds going to the Artist Crossing School and the theater company, will be performed on May 13th. Artist Crossing was founded in 2004 by Judith Blazer as a means for new and upcoming talent to be mentored by seasoned veterans of the theater world. The benefit will be a collection of works from theater vets entitled They Were You. And finally, Gone with the Wind, the new musical, opened on April 22nd on the West End in the new London Theater. 
The production, directed by Trevor Nunn, has been in previews for the past month and has had only had to cancel one performance due to technical problems. The production stars Jill Pace as Scarlett O'Hara and Darius Dinesh as Rhett Butler. And the call board is being sponsored by Roy Aria Studios, located at 43rd and 8th, hey, in the same building as us, in the heart of the theater district. They've got tons of great rehearsal spaces, performance venues at a great price, and they've got a staff who has been involved in all aspects of production and truly knows how to help out however you might need it. The spaces are equity approved, and they're easily accessible by Port Authority, Penn Station, and all subways. Feel free to give them a call at 212-957-8358 or send an email to bookings at Roy Arias Studios for any inquiry or to view the spaces. On the boards. The Hypnosis Theatre Company is on their fourth production, and they specialize in producing the classics. And uh, their newest play, Knowing Bertolt Brecht, I think he would roll over in his grave knowing that he is now considered one of the classics. <laughs> but the Caucasian Shock Circle certainly fits that bill. And we have Margot Newkirk, who's directing the show with us and a company member, as well as Demetrius Boneros, who's the managing director, composed music, and is acting in the production. And uh, how are you guys doing today? We're well. Hi. Well. Thank you for having us. <laughs> All right. So... I guess let's start off kind of with the mission statement. Like I said, we do classics, but uh, kind of what is it about hypnosis? And I should point out that this is spelled H-I-P-G-N-O-S-I-S, right? Correct. Yeah, the first thing I guess would be, what, where, where did that G come from? Um, well, <laughs> it's, hypnosis is the Greek uh, word for knowledge, um, also wisdom maybe. Um, it also has a connotation of inquiry, uh, you know, not being satisfied sort of with existing ready-made answers, but all, you know, always inquiring to find the truth behind things. Um, so that appeals to us. And then, you know, overall it makes for a bit of a catchy wordplay. <laughs> <laughs> so now, uh, about your mission statement in the company, you do, you're a very ensemble group and you do a lot of classical works. Yeah, we sort of have three guiding principles. Uh, the ensemble, as you mentioned, is one. Um, we really believe in the strength of continuity, uh, artistic continuity from one production to the next. Um, so rather than having just a producing organization that assembles you know, free agents, uh, different ones from one pr production to the next, we prefer to have a, a, a steady, as much as possible, group of actors, of musicians, designers, all around. Um, who grow together, who train together and become, you know, more familiar with one another and, you know, who can all then grow as a company uh, together from production to production. Uh, another principle is um, unconventional staging, which uh, may be a bit of a uh, hard way to put it, but the point is we don't just want to default to the standard way of presenting theater. Uh, which tends to be, you know, a proscenium arrangement. You have the stage on one end, and then you have the audience on another end. Frequently, the audience is at a large distance from the from the stage. We feel that kind of uh, can end up diminishing the experience. Okay, but by, by tradition, I thought you meant group sales to Ohio tourists. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, uh, you know, if we reach the point where we can attract the high tourists, <laughs> that'll be great. Um, so we, you know, we tend to, to try to bring the action the closer to the audience, which is a benefit for the actors too. I think um, we frequently stage our productions in the round, though that's not necessary. We try to find whatever arrangement seems to bring out the the particular spirit of the production best. Um, 
And the third uh, principle is, as you said, classical work. And yes, we kind of exp uh, define that rather expansively from traditional classics, you know, Greeks, Shakespeare, and so on, but all, all the way up to 20th century. Uh, we have a, a, a longstanding argument on what classical theater means to us. My, my uh, personal interpretation is theater that applies to different times and places. So it's not specific to however good it might have been to the time and place when it was written, but it can very easily apply to people from a different place or a different time altogether because it deals with fundamental concerns of human nature that 3,000 years ago in a galaxy far, far away applied just as well as they do now in New York City. So I'm curious, in 20, 30 years, are you going to be producing Neil Simon? <laughs> oh. <laughs> there's a zinger. Comedies don't tend to age well, just because usually they tend to be very specific to yeah. their. That that's the diplomatic answer. I'll give. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're right, definitely. Um, so, Margot, you're directing the Caucasian Shock Circle. Um, yes. Was this a thing where you kind of brought this to the company that you wanted to do this, or they approached you, or, or how did that? Uh, the play was um, my selection. Um, John and Dimitri and I decided that I would direct the next show. Um, John Castro, our artistic director, has directed the past three shows that our company has done. Um, that put a lot of weight in you? The first, uh, mm -hmm. just, first show? Not just just on my right shoulder. Right there. <laughs> um, the, our past three shows have been Shakespeare. And I decided that um, I wanted to depart from Shakespeare. And uh, I have a musical background. And for that reason, I was drawn to Brecht, um, as well as uh, being drawn to his sense of um, contradictions in human nature um, and in nature itself, which is something that's very strong about this play. Um, but mainly, I chose the play because it suits an ensemble. And we've been progressively working towards um, building this ensemble, so I thought, wow, I, I better pick a play that highlights that, highlights a, a group of people rather than, you know, one leading man, per se. Um, so this, this play, The Caucasian Chalk Circle, has 80 characters in it. <laughs> it's being played by 13 actors, and uh, it means that each actor is playing uh, somewhere between four and six roles which is a, is a real delight and challenge for each individual, I think. Yeah, no, it's, I, I definitely know it's a lot of fun to get to do that variety and, and switch up. Um, do you feel any hesitation approach? I mean, Brecht is like kind of that, he's very defined in his presentation. He's, he's one of the few playwrights mm -hmm. that in addition to the words, there's always been a presentational style to how his works are presented. Mm -hmm. Do you find that liberating, confining? Do you find it daunting to approach that? I did it first, and once I've gotten to know the play better, uh, I stopped worrying about the convention of Brecht. Uh, I think a lot of people misinterpret alienation to mean a, a kind of hostility or a kind of um, or lack of emotion, stiffness. Uh, that is not really what he intended. Um, what I find most compelling about his idea of alienation is that it challenges the artist and the audience to discover elements of performance and storytelling that uh, stretch the imagination. 
to give you an example of that, I guess it would be uh, a, a very basic example. Say I got my head chopped off, and instead of um, instead of creating the whole image of blood and you know uh, ten thousand people weeping around me, um, you might pull out a handkerchief and create a strong gesture to illustrate a head getting chopped off. Which um, I think people m misinterpret that for diminishing the emotional effect, but I think there's a place for um, a, a, a strong stylistic choice to still uh, fill out the spirit of a moment. Yeah, I think Wrecked Unfairly gets remembered predominantly for the, you know, the the distance and you know you know the the break between the actors and reality and uh, when the truth is he was he was a very you know he was always open to new ideas incorporating you know music and song and mm -hmm. dance and you know even like you know some clown you know oh, he, he would sure. bring in he would bring in every element into the shows to you know really create something new and different so um, yeah. yeah and you're composing music for this production. Uh, yes. Um, and, uh, composing how... is right as opposed to co have composed. <laughs> uh, most of it, 95% of it is done. Um, and there's, there's still some 5% that's uh, forthcoming in the next week. <laughs> and I guess I'd ask the same question. You know, I, I, I can't. Did Kurt Vile do this, the music originally for Chalk Circle? I know. He didn't do it for this he one. Did, yeah. He did for a bunch of other but uh, Brecht plays. Brecht is, you know, definitely, you know, known for the, you know, the Kurt Vile sound has been so heavily also associated with Brecht's work. Right. How does that influence you as a, com as a composer approaching doing fresh music for this? Um, I, I think the same way that we looked at the staging, I looked at the music. I, I should say we looked at the music. I wasn't working sort of off in an ivory tower, you know, isolated from the director and from the actors. Yeah. Uh, basically, we we looked at the play. We looked at the characters, the language, the dialogue, the the plot and try to, both in staging and in creating the music, to ferret out what really interests us in it, what seems to speak and sing metaphorically about it. Um, so in that respect, I didn't start with a particular style in mind um, and try to fit the music to it, um, other than you know, trying to make music in one part of the show you know, be relevant stylistically, let's say, to music in other parts of the show. But it's not like I started by saying, all right, it all has to be, you know, a three-note, <laughs> you know, musical score, or it all has to be one singer, you know, one lead singer singer with a lot of drone underneath. There's some, there's different elements, but point is, you know, certain songs from the page just came out as beautiful, hopefully <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> Um, yeah, what was that? You know, pans <laughs> clanging and cats howling. <laughs> it's beautiful. That's right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> uh, you know, like ensemble harmonies, yeah. um, which you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, there's that Zingspiel tradition." Well, if the music, if the music that's suggested to me and to us was not a, you know, a kind of more droney, zinkspiel-y type, but it was a, you know, like a more lush, let's say, you know, vocal ensemble, then that felt right, then why not do that? So that's where we've gone. <laughs> so is this the first time that the ensembles worked with heavy music, or have you done a lot of music with Shakespearean plays as well? We always have live music for every production. This is the first time we've had so much vocal music. Um, 
and, and it's the first time where it's been written into the play to such a large extent. But we always have original compositions and we always have live instrumentalists. The difference between this production and our past productions is that everything now is generated by the person. Where anything percussive, anything um, sound effect wise is created vocally. Um, and, and, and mainly the music itself is almost exclusively, uh, you know, the voice, the human voice. Now, when this is, you know, very much an ensemble that you're working with and the past three plays, you know, haven't dealt with vocals, were there, was there any resistance or any challenges to work with? I'm, I'm guessing a lot of actors who aren't predominantly singers, if, if this has been the case, what have been kind of the challenges musically and, and directorially with that? Well, I think we, with our choice in plays as well, um, we tried to highlight the ensemble, both as a group as well as, as individuals. So, you know, if we have someone with a particular knack for comedy, you know, we will, you know, try to give that person, a, you know, the opportunity to play a great comic role. Um, similarly, you know, we have uh, a few folks who are trained and strong singers, and obviously they're highlighted here, and, you know, someone who doesn't have you know, musical or or singing training or experience, uh, you know, we're not going to sort of try to shoehorn, you know, heavy musical load into the, that person, but rather, you know, try with each person to highlight the strengths and to allow them to, to flourish in that respect. But everybody gets in on the action to some extent. Mm -hmm. if, if you are interested in the challenges, I will just say that Dimitri has written some incredibly gorgeous music with um, complex harmonies. Some of it we've been able to keep, and some of it we've had to simplify. And I don't think it diminishes the quality of, of the songs at all, but because of the way we've decided to stage the play and, and with the actors that we've decided to use without bringing in additional vocalists, um, we have had to scale back slightly with, with certain pieces. So... That's just to to explain the flip side, <laughs> but but not but not I, I would say not to a huge extent. I mean, no, not at just all. to fit the staging of a couple of scenes and you know the people available for it. But overall, I think it keeps the spirit. Now, now I'm curious from just a strictly um, kind of production level, how, the challenges this has added because you're working under an equity code contract. I'm, I'm taking it right, mm -hmm. and you see so a very limited rehearsals. That you're allowed to do now. When you're working on something as complex as Brecht, and then also working with a bunch of people, well, at least some people who aren't as experienced singers, has how has that been challenging on the rehearsal time and the rehearsal process, getting it getting it all ready? What we've ended up doing is doubling our uh, our resources, meaning that John Castro, the artistic director, and I have been both directing scenes simultaneously during rehearsals. Mm -hmm. And um, likewise, Dimitri has been pulling uh, smaller uh, groups of, of singers to have music rehearsals overlapping with other rehearsals. And that's been our, our surest way of, of getting as much rehearsal time as possible. But I mean, you're right, that's a very good question. And I think it's a question that would apply to most theater that gets produced yeah. in New York, probably elsewhere too. There are, you know, the usual uh, unavoidable constraints of time and financial resources, and then ability is the third constraint. But even if you get beyond that and you have a the, the greatest you know group of people ever, you still have limited time and limited um, amounts of money. So, you know that's just an ongoing uh, battle from production to production. So now the the show opens on April twenty sixth. Is that right? Correct. 
Saturday. So where is this playing? 45 Bleecker Street on the corner with Lafayette, the, um, what used to be the culture project. Now it's the theaters of 45 Bleecker. Uh, there's two spaces upstairs and downstairs. We're in the downstairs sort of kind of raw uh, space. Uh, is, it, is this where uh, minimum wage was? Do you know? I'm not sure. I, I think I'm, I, for a second, I think I know. Bridge and Tunnel was on the upstage, uh, on the upstairs space for a while. So. Yeah, that is a very. And I, I can. Uh, there's a, a couple, couple of columns and pillars. And yes. uh, yeah. Red Bull yeah. did a couple yeah, of productions. For when you're saying you like yeah. to do, you know, differently staged productions, that that does sound like a great space for. It's which a wonderful space. Yeah. I'm very excited about it. So, and um, it runs through May 11th. Right. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? And um, where can people go to find out more information about your company, tickets, et cetera? Well, um, Telecharge is, is our ticketing agent, and their phone number is 800-432-7250. And they're also telecharge.com. Um, we have more information on our, on our own website as well, which is hypnosistheater.org. Uh, hypnosis it's H-I-P-G-N-O-S-I-S-T-H-E-A-T-R-E. Dot org. Yeah, the RE theater always the big conundrum. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we thought you know, don't no need to stop at hypnosis. <laughs> Might as well add the RE. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, so like Bertolt Brecht, the Caucasian Shock Circle, definitely um, sounds like a very interesting presentation of it, and, and something to that the audience can get inside of definitely oh, in, in that space. Absolutely, for sure. <laughs> so uh, Margot Newkirk and Demetrios Boneros. Got the names right again? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I thank you guys so much for coming down and talking about your production, and I wish you best of luck. As thank you, you very much. Thank you very much. All right. Listening room. Jeremy Schoenfeld's been making a lot of waves as a composer <laughs> over the past years. In fact, we had him on almost two years ago in God. episode eight oh, wow. of Broadway Bullet. You can check episode that out eight. and we got some new information here as he's releasing his new CD 37 Steps 37 Notebooks 37 Notebooks, notebooks. <laughs> yeah, it's an erasure song I think that's right there. clicked for a second on me 37 <laughs> Notebooks which correct, uh, correct. I'm assuming refers to the writer's uh, journey yes indeed indeed <laughs> indeed absolutely it's and good to be back by the way and the CD comes out May 6th. You've got a concert at Birdland on May 5th. That's right. That's right. And you got like lots of stars on the CD and at the concert. Yeah, right? yeah. It's been one of those kind of labors of love. I was able to bring in a lot of friends, people I've worked with, some who I've actually not worked with, but I've known for a long time. And um, and you know, got a lot of people singing on this thing, and a lot of people joining me on May 5th as well. Many of the original singers from the CD. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So who do you got on the CD? Let's see. So it's have? a pretty big so list. It's a big, it's a big laundry list of, of Broadway vets. I mean, I, I have uh, Jared Emick and Amy Spanger and Julie Denau Salkin. Uh, uh, of course, Mr. Adam Pascal, um, Shoshana Bean, who I've worked with uh, over the years, Tracy Toms, um, and uh, gosh, I mean, I literally, who else? Donnie Kerr, the song I did today here, uh, from Donnie Kerr. Um, I'm forgetting people who are going to kick my butt later. <laughs> it's a, it's, there's, I think there are 11, 11 different names on this thing, so it's very, very cool. Oh, yeah, um, uh, uh, Julia Murney is in this thing. She was on uh, her show. Stephanie was, Block? Is, Stephanie, is Stephanie Stephanie's Block? not, Stephanie's oh, so not in this names. thing, no, but um, Kate Schindel is, and, uh, and I do an, a lovely duet with Lauren Kennedy. 
so you well, know, CD's not out yet, so I don't have the benefit of being able. Yeah, to right, 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 right. Well, <laughs> and funny since I don't have the benefit, I have to go. I have to play on my memory here, and which apparently is not very good. I mean, it was, it was, it was lovely. I, I've worked with all of these people, and um, and every single one of them was just a joy. It was really, really a pleasure to do this thing with them. So I'm honored and pleased to have them join me on this disc. All right, well, I'm going to play live here in the studio for us. Absolutely. You want to tell us here about this first song you're going to play? Uh, 37 Notebooks, the, the, uh, the title track from the disc, is uh, uh, a song I wrote um, a, a few years back. I mean, the, the, the whole CD in general, 37 Notebooks, does refer to sort of the writer's journey and how you keep these notebooks with a variety of uh, different passages in them, some of them, some of them actually usable, some of them just, just words, lines here, there, some of them scrabble scores, but in general, the uh, idea of documenting your life mm-hmm. through, these, uh, through these notebooks, and then kind of when you page through them, being able to experience, re-experience those memories um, through those pages. So uh, the first song, 37 Notebooks, refers to that and encompasses all of the songs on the CD in that sense. And this one you actually sing in the CD. And this is the one, yeah, it's the last track. We kind of finished the uh, the CD with this track. So you kind of have to listen through the entire disc in order to get to that one. Or just, you know, press fast forward. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it is the last, the, it's the final song on the CD, and I perform it. All right. Spiral bound in yellow pants, wide and narrow. Game plans and one-night stands Old lyrics I've retooled Cover to cover, year to year Thirty-seven notebooks From a life that disappeared And I've got scribbles and scratches Some matches, others not Apologies and desperate pleas Easily forgot Sorry to I love you But I'm scared Thirty-seven notebooks From a time when we still cared Flipping through each dusty year Enshrined in all these pages It's amazing what you learn What you discover You're a new man now Go on, take a bow But allow yourself a moment Allow one single moment To say wow I really loved her Love yields a second chance If you're lucky and I am 
She means the world to me Makes me finally give a damn Well maybe that's the way it's supposed to be You write 37 notebooks Till you're free to write 37 more Oh, oh, oh. oh yeah Now, what all went into producing the CD? You got a lot of stuff on here, a lot of people. The kitchen sink. It's, uh, you know, I undertook this. Um, I undertook this venture thinking there were a couple of different recordings I wanted to do this year, uh, releases, I should say. One was uh, I've been a lot of my performances lately, Joe's Pub and Birdland, etc., have been uh, um, have been centered not only around myself as a performer and writing songs that I perform, but bringing in a lot of friends, a lot of guests, some of them who are singing on the discs, people like Shoshana and Tracy, etc., who come in <clears throat> and work with me um, and uh, sing some of the songs that were not necessarily meant for my voice, you know, songs that I've written either for theatrical projects or songs where I thought, hey, you know what, this would be an interesting song for someone else to sing because, you know, you sort of put them out there and then you hope that everybody else wants to embrace them. Um, and so so the first, so this, this disc, 37 Notebooks, really tried to encompass the, uh, um, you know, that spirit of putting together um, a group of songs that I had demoed, recorded in various forms over the past few years, um, and then saying, okay, this would be nice. Who might, who might be good for this one? Who might be good for that one? Maybe I should do this one. Maybe someone else should do that one. Uh, so starting with that, and then using uh, a group of musicians who I've been working with um, on and off for the past year, um, Randy Landau and uh, Gary Seligs and Alex, Alec Berlin, uh, the person who helped co-produce this, uh, Stephen Hoops Snyder, uh, and uh, and we we got together and we and you know Stephen uh, Hoops and I, I should say that's how he goes by Hoops, uh, sort of pared down a group of twenty five or so songs into a group of fourteen that were really solid, uh, that we could you know that we could kind of go through and figure out okay arrangement wise, this could be this this could be that, and from there I literally took a project that was probably you know, a big project and just <clears throat> and made it a much bigger one by adding Jim Abbott and the string section, adding saxophone, adding a variety of different things so that really when you go through the tunes, you feel like, you know, you're listening to a, a, just a really broad range of material from, you know, musical theater, some a couple of standard musical theater things. There's a lot of uh, Alison Krauss uh, influence bluegrass. I have a gentleman named Gerald Menke who does a lot of pedal steel on some tunes. I get some banjo on them as well and mandolin. And then, uh, you know, like I said, the Jim Abbott string arrangements for um, for Falling Apart and for A Simple Plan that Kate Schindel sings. Uh, so, you know, I, there, it's, it, was a, it was kind of one of those labors where we, uh, we undertook it thinking it would be one thing and as it kind of grew, realized that 
uh, you know, boy, in order to get this one really right, maybe I should go and try to put one of these in, or maybe we should try a little of that. Um, and uh, it, so it's been, it was an intense and f- full experience, let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the second song you're going to play here for us today? Uh, the second song is actually uh, in the middle of the CD. It's a song called My My uh, that uh, Donnie Kerr from Jersey Boys uh, is going to perform, well, has, I'm sorry, performed on the disc. Uh, with a couple of backing vocals from my friends Julie Denau and uh, and Amy Spanger, and uh, it's a fun one. It's just it's one that I kind of wrote actually uh, before I met my wife. One of those songs that you you know with the, the crotchety artistic songwriter who's used to uh, pushing people away finally hopes you know meets the fantasy girl, the one that actually says you know what I can take all your bullshit and and I will. And you know, throw it back at you and laugh at it uh, when normally nine out of ten of the other women would have just r- run away from that kind of energy. So, you know, it was one of those songs where I didn't actually know the person that was going to do that yet, but hoped that I would finally meet her, and then of course I did. So, uh, and that's what Thirty Seven Notebooks, the song I previously performed, refers to meeting that person. So, all right, you ready? I am. No way. Jose, I'm not gonna let it inside today. Roll off my back. I take the hit and then I'll cut me some slack. No way are you laughing at me when I'm trying to be serious. Not even cracking a smile, I guess. I must be losing my touch. You should be at least a million miles from here. But as the world keeps passing me by Out of the corner of my eye I can still see you standing there My, 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 my And as the world keeps passing me by Out of the corner of my eye I can still see you standing there My, 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 my I'm not your type you're looking for the settling down kind of guy not worth the hype i can't say i'll always be there when you need me around are you listening to me now now you keep laughing like a stumbling drunk i bet all my friends that love it pass me by but i suppose my ship isn't sunk just yet and as the world keeps passing me by Out of the corner of my eye I can still see you standing there My, 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 my And as the world keeps passing me by Out of the corner of my eye I can still see you standing there My, 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 my don't know why you just didn't pack up and go It's like I told you I'm not gonna change you Grin, say I know where you've been so don't try My, 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 my Oh yeah, 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 yeah And as the world keeps passing me by 
Out of the corner of my eye I can still see you standing there My, 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 There's the world keeps passing me by Out of the corner of my eye I can still see you you're standing there Okay, so the, the release party's at Birdland on May 5th. May 5th. Yeah. What time? May 5th, 7 o'clock. The uh, Monday night shows generally there are the 7 o'clock gig. Star-studded. It is. We have a lot of, you know, a lot of... A lot of the people who originally are uh, who have performed on the album, uh, Tracy Toms is flying in from L.A., which is absolutely lovely of her. Um, and uh, you know, uh, Kate Schindel will perform her song. Uh, Jared Emick will be there. Julie Denau Salkin, Amy Spanger. Um, I got a couple of people who are going to be there performing songs that were not originally on the CD, but I'm very very excited to have with me uh, Julie Rayburn, who's a wonderful singer. And um, and Natalie Weiss, who's a young up-and-comer who I have not had a chance to work with, but will be singing House of Love because Sh- Shoshana cannot be there. And um, and Adam Jacobs, who uh, uh, will be joining me to do My My, the song I did today. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, again, a big a big variety of, of, of people who uh, I'm excited to be working with uh, live. So it should be a lot of fun, a lot of fun that evening. All right. Is there a website people can go to to find out? They can absolutely. Well, they can go to the Birdland site. Uh, birdland.com for, you know, I think there's even a little video posted under my thing um, from when Tracy sang with me at uh, Joe's Pub. They can always go to my website, uh, www.jeremyshonefeld.com, and that will also post you over to my YouTube and all sorts of things from there. <clears throat> and um, and I believe that it's been posted in a variety of places from Playville to Theater Mania and all those places as well. So. I, uh, I'm letting other people keep track of that, <laughs> track of that for me. So, uh, but uh, yeah, it's going to be a wonderful, a wonderful event. And then the May sixth release, very excited to have that thing out there and people getting their hands on it. So, all right. Well, best of luck. And Thank remind you very our much. listeners if they want to find a, a little bit more about you. There's our interview with you from August of uh, 2006. Is still up in episode eight. That's right. So they can check that and hear some songs from your musical drift. That's right. That's right. Thank you very much. And thanks so much. See you on May 6th. Everybody get it. Thank you. In the best of company. It's been a while since we've had a dance company here on Broadway Bullet, and we've got a fun one on here. Company 14 produces in Brooklyn, and their show that's going up at the beginning of May is called The Judgment of Paris, and they've done a lot of stuff. We're going to talk a little about the show and the company, and we've got uh, Joya Marchese, one of the managers and, and actress in the show, as well as Austin McCormick, who is the director and choreographer for Judgment of Paris. How are you guys doing? Hi. Good. How are Good. you? So uh, first off, I guess, tell us a little bit about your company, Company 14, and what, what you guys do with uh, dance theater. Well, we're a dance theater company, and we work in um, the mediums of live performance and film. Um, right now, the company has six performers, two actors, and four dancers. Um, and we're working on The Judgment of Paris, as you mentioned, but we work a lot in film also. So what brought this company together? This has been since 2005, is that right? Uh, yes. Um, I started it as a 
way of producing um, side projects when I was a student at Juilliard. And then when I graduated, it became more full-time. Um, so a lot of the dancers are um, alumni of Juilliard. And so what's the judgment of Paris? What's, what's this I'll, I'll chime in on this one. <laughs> um, the Judgment of Paris is a retelling of the Greek myth, The Judgment of Paris, but it's told in Austin's uniquely kind of dance theater way um, of a traveling troupe kind of stumbled along this place and decide to tell this story, the Greek myth, in their own way, which involves... French can-can and um, contemporary modern dance and song and it's very, um, it just moves, it's fun and it's also got some real dramatic moments, the Trojan War and some beautiful stuff that happens along the way when we find out kind of what happens to Helen of Troy and that idea of the, the vision, the, the perfect woman. Mm -hmm. So um, for those of us who aren't familiar with the story of Judgment of Paris, and I actually have to say I, I'm not, and I'm, I'm sure some of my listeners aren't, what, what is a little bit of the story? that? Um, it's not one of the better known ones. Yeah, let's see. It starts with um, uh, Paris, who's a shepherd, um, is given a golden apple, and um, Zeus asks him to bestow it upon the goddess that he finds the most beautiful. So the three that are competing are Hera, um, Athena, and Aphrodite. And so, each of the goddesses offers a bribe to kind of get the apple. So it's like the first beauty contest. Um, and so Paris awards the apple to Aphrodite because she promises him Helen of Troy, who's the most beautiful woman in the world. And then that starts the, the um, Trojan War. So in, in getting the company together and stuff, and you also work out of a... a you work out of one space all the time, right? Is that? Yeah, we're the resident company of 303 Bond Street. Um, it's a rehearsal and performance space in Carroll Gardens. Brooklyn. So, what was that kind of getting things together to work out of one space? Does that does that help with giving you like more knowledge of the space that you're using? Mm. And, and it does. Yeah, we can really customize the shows to the space and kind of do some site specific stuff. And and I can say, as a performer, it's amazing to be able to go to a space and really set up every day, lights, use costumes, whatever we want, and really um, explore in the space and not feel kind of like, sometimes you go in other people's space and it's dirty from the people who were there before, or there's yeah, it really becomes our that home. you have, yeah. Now, does working out of one spot, has that helped with your building up familiarity with your audience? Do you have a kind of traditional audience that now comes back and knows what to expect from you guys? It's definitely starting to. I mean, this is only the second um, performance in the space. Okay. So, but people are starting to really see yeah. the, the location. And the community is getting excited yeah. about the company, and a lot of people walk by and are grabbing flyers mm -hmm. and stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. We'll see. So what, what's, what are some of your, both of your individual backgrounds in dance and theater? Um, I started as a Baroque dancer, <laughs> studying Baroque mm -hmm. court dance when I was eight, um, and also well, All classical. the kids were doing it that <laughs> I know, it's, it's weird. I'm a freak. Um, yeah, so that's kind of like the beginning of ballet, Baroque court dance. I started studying that and then got into classical ballet um, and uh, went to Juilliard for, um, for their dance program. And I started out dancing from very young. My mom was a dancer, and, and then I transitioned into acting 
in high school, sort of left dancing, and little did I know <laughs> I would be back <laughs> doing some, doing the can can doing some can can. <laughs> <laughs> so, what have been your some of your favorite moments or or th- things that have happened in your past productions with uh, Company Fourteen? Um, I have to say, uh, back just in this past summer, um, in August, we shot a film that Austin got a grant for, um, and uh, it was just a really amazing experience making this movie and then seeing it um, premiere at Dance on Camera at Lincoln Center and in this film festival with all these amazing dance films, and he was actually nominated for the jury prize for that, so... That was fun. That looks cool. <laughs> <laughs> now you said you do work in film a lot too. Do you do you take advantage of like YouTube and such at all with any mm-hmm. of you? Yeah, we posted a lot of our films yeah. on YouTube. Company XIV. Mm-hmm. It's under. Check it out <laughs> on YouTube. Yeah, we'll, we'll put a, maybe a video too in our in our video player too. Cool. Great. When this interview goes up. Great. There's a little teaser for the show actually, if people are interested, on our MySpace page and on YouTube. Well, and what are those addresses? It's the MySpace is myspace.com slash company XIV, and the YouTube is company XIV Judgment of Paris. All right, so uh, Judgment of Paris opens on May 9th? Yes. yes. And how long is that running? Through the 31st. Four mm. weeks, Fridays and Saturdays, 8 p.m. You can get tickets on smarttickets.com. <laughs> Keep it going. <laughs> it's all right to get the pitch. Yeah. <laughs> And um, oh yeah, you know I just want to ask you know, one thing we didn't get into is how how are you, how is this costumed? Is this also a pretty? Oh. That's a huge part of um, what I do. I collaborate with a woman named Olivera Gayek, and she's incredible. So um, Austin's part of Austin's aesthetic is like part of the design from the beginning. This really rich, lavish world that he has in his head that that he brings out with all the other designers he works with and we've got an amazing team this time Romiko Ishii from um, a Yale graduate and Lee Allen from LA lighting designer and Oliveira and this the costumes are kind of like we've got the can-can element we've got this um, Trojan War pieces that come out this traveling show kind of MC guy they're just these beautiful um rich colors and mm-hmm. it's amazing. And a little sexy too. A lot sexy. <laughs> a lot sexy. <laughs> <laughs> and for those Manhattanites or, or tourists who might be in town, how deep of a trip is it to get into Brooklyn to catch your show? It's so, so easy. easy. <laughs> <laughs> Take so. the F train to the Carroll stop. It's like three stops into Brooklyn and walk down the street. And it's a beautiful part of Brooklyn too. If you've never been to Brooklyn, mm-hmm. it's a great, great... Um, great restaurants on Smith Street yeah. and... <laughs> All right, well, Georgia Morchis, uh, wait, Joya. Yes. Ooh, that's a good you. stage name. I, I like, like that, that. Georgia. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, I have this phonetically spelled, and I looked at the wrong thing. Joya Marchese. <laughs> thank you. And uh, Austin McCormick, thank you so much for coming down and talking about Company 14 and your uh, production of The Judgment of Paris coming up. Sounds like a lot of fun. Wish you the best of luck. Thanks thank for you. having us. <laughs> On the positive side. Hey, this is Marty Cooper once again on the positive side. I I really should change the name of the show because uh, sometimes I have some negative thoughts about a lot of stuff. Uh, And uh, it doesn't always work, but I'm going to keep it that way because I'm usually a smiley, happy person. But in any case, I was sitting waiting for that 
gorgeous production of Sunday in the Park with George to start. And I was talking to my wife, and, uh, and as those of you who know me or have heard me, and in fact, a number of months ago, Michael put a moratorium on Les Mis, you know I'm a big, I'm a big Les Mis fan. But I got to thinking, how many hours have I spent in the theater with Mr. Sondheim? It seems to me over the last few years, there is some kind of Sondheim thing playing on Broadway. And uh, just the time I've been married to my wife, and that's almost 24 years, a uh, lot of evenings in the theater with Sondheim between Gypsy and Sweeney Todd and Sunday in the Park and all of those passion, uh, which we actually saw three times. Uh, you might find that hard to believe. We've spent a lot of time, and I've spent a lot of time. In fact, the original production of Sweeney Todd uh, was my first major theater obsession back in 1979. I took that in 14 times. I was just thrilled with the artistry involved and and I just had to experience this all the time. It got me to thinking about the recent Sweeney Todd film. Uh, now I know I thought it was, was pretty good. To me, there is no production of Sweeney Todd, even the John Doyle production, which I didn't particularly care for, but to me, no production of Sweeney Todd is totally without merit, as is the film. But I started thinking that watching the film, he just, Mr. Burton just took on the horror part of the story. It was almost devoid of humor, or any humor that was in the story was kind of swallowed up. And uh, you just kind of heard it in the background, or it just kind of passed its way through. But there was no humor. Now, one thing I must say about Mr. Sondheim, and for the most part, uh, his shows, to me, are usually dark. He wrote a few comedies. Merrily We Roll Along, for one. Uh, Bounce, which is coming to Broadway. Funny thing happened on the way to the Forum. And those are strictly funny. Although Merrily We Roll Along does have a little bit of a dark side to it. But most of his shows are dark. And I always looked at a Sondheim show kind of like a, th a thrill ride in an amusement park. Uh, it's going to scare you, but you'll have fun along the way. I remember seeing the original Sweeney Todd and thinking, how much fun is this? And uh, all of these things happening, and it took you to get home to realize that, ooh, what did I just see? Uh, when, you hear, when you hear the Beatle in the second act saying, uh, people are complaining about the stench from your chimney, and you, you think about that, and you go, that's horrible. But... To me, the film version kind of realized all of this in, at times, a gross manner. Uh, if you remember at the end, uh, the, the parts of the body that are found by Toby in the basement. In the show, all he said, he pulled a hair out of his mouth and uh, he found a nail, but uh, it wasn't as graphic as the film. Of course, you can be graphic in a film, but I found that even the part in her restaurant in the second part of the film, or in the show it was the second act, which was kind of funny because you see her come out in a gown, and this is all kind of swallowed up by the film. I hope I see more great Sondheim productions over the years. Uh, I don't know if he's 
got it in him to write another masterpiece at, at nearly 80 years of age. But uh, we can go on enjoying what he has written. And as I said, I love Sunday in the Park with George. I think it's a glorious show. And this is a glorious production. I just hope every year is, is kind of filled with Sondheim music somewhere. If you have any opinions on what I had to say or what you would like me to talk about, of course, you can email me at broadwaymarty at aol.com. And once again, this is Marty Cooper on the positive side. In the best of company. A company's goal to bring children from Westchester County in uh, children's musical theater, well, not necessarily children's, a lot of high school too, to perform off-Broadway in New York is the Little Fig Stage. They've got a new show that's uh, playing off-Broadway at the Players Theater on uh, April 29th and 30th. And we've got the two uh, directors of the program, Marcy Ellen Shine and Michael Ficcicelli, here with us today. How are you guys doing? How are you? And by the way, Ficcicelli in English would translate to Little Fig. (laughs) Hence the name Little Fig Stage. All right. So the first thing is uh, Westchester County. this is like the hood, and you're working with real underprivileged children, right? <laughs> <laughs> Everything's relative. <laughs> no, they're not terribly underprivileged. Um, they're lovely, lovely um, northern Westchester children. Now, very, guys, very talented. Kids. I understand you guys have done a lot of things. You've been doing children's-related theater for 25 years. You've been actors, performers, directors, composers yourselves. So, uh, and after all this, just last year, you finally decided to make it official, make it your own company, correct? Correct. Right. That's just what we did, and we opened in September um, with this idea that we would nurture um, new musicals and nurture children, teenagers and young children as well, um, in this business. Um, And just take it a little step further than doing your traditional high school musical. So they would learn something. They would, they could work with the composers directly, with the writers, the librettists, and industry professionals directly, and see what it was like. And maybe they wouldn't want to go in the business, or maybe they would, depending on their experience. So how is that? They, now you've already done one off Broadway with the kids, right? We did one December at the Players Theater. We did the True Colors of Weedle, which was a fantasy type show, and it was lovely. And music um, by Allison Brewster, who's a Grammy Award nominee um, for some of her. She's a composer, and June Rachelson Aspa, who is also an award-winning um, writer and. It was an adorable, wonderful musical. She did some at the Kennedy Center, didn't she? She did, yes. Yeah, Welcome to the, Toretteville, I think. Yes. So um, we're, we're, we worked Center. with great people, and um, all of them welcomed what we did with the show. And, and what was great was we, we, were, uh, you know, we were enabled to um, empower our, our cast in the development. You know, if they would say, you know, this isn't working, you know, I wouldn't say it like this. I don't believe the, the way the story is going. We would work on it. We would take them seriously, and Michael would work on it as a writer. We would go to June and say, here, you know, can we do this? And and we developed it, and that was the whole idea of our company was to uh, develop these new works, put them on their feet, and then whatever happens from there happens. Out there in the hood, we had a lot of... Uh, uh, people that supported us, which is really, too, that helped a lot get us started. A gentleman named Ken Marsalay, 
a great guy. I heard you mention that he's from Montana. He's from your neck of the woods, right? Your your hood. He's he was a Broadway producer with Colleen Dewhurst and many other people, and he still is. Uh, you know, an important person in the business, very important person, and a very wonderful guy to know, just a loving guy, and he and, seems and to know such a, everybody. An he's advocate of children's theater, Advocate of children yeah. and advocate of, of the arts in general. Uh, Marcy did a jazz gig, and he was there every night coming to see the show. He's just a great guy. Uh, and he knew the kind of stuff that we did, because we were working at the Northern Westchester Center for the Arts, and he was the uh, the director of that, the artistic director. Uh, and he saw the kind of work that we put in with the kids, and uh, I also actually premiered a musical uh, reading there uh, so, called So Big. Um, we did it there at the Westchester Center. Um, that's another story. I don't know if we want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he knew that I was a composer, writer, and all that stuff, and he knew we wanted to do something creative with kids. Uh, and he helped be a mover shaker and get us set up you know, at the Harvey School, which is where we actually do our rehearsals up in the Katona area, beautiful area. Nice hood, definitely. <laughs> now, um, the new show you're doing, uh, Wild Imaginings, tell us a little bit about that. Well, actually, this one was written by Michael. So uh, definitely in-house, our in-house resident composer. Um, and he wrote it um, years ago in the 80s. <laughs> And it was cute, and um, we did it at a summer camp we were directing theater at. And, and it was fun. The songs were fun. And then when we were doing... It, re it actually did get published out in Studio City, California, ironically by Players the Press. Players right. Press. Have no, it's no connection to the Players Theater. Uh, but Players Press, uh, they published it, and it sat on a shelf for God knows when. Um, and finally, uh, you know, realized realizing it really wasn't going to go anywhere, I requested to have the rights, you know, brought back to me, and uh, and that's when we decided, you know, we can we could expand this thing, we could make this, uh, and plus at that time also as a writer I had developed quite a bit through the years. I, had, I was a part of the Lehman Engel Musical Theater Workshop, the BMI, in, uh, the BMI Workshop in New York City, and I was there for four years with Maury Estin and some great people and, and learned a lot about writing. And that's when we decided, well, we'll rework this thing and see where it goes. Yeah, because the songs were fun, and I, I, knew, it, I knew it had potential. It just needed to be developed. Mm -hmm. So we, uh, you brought a song here from Wild Imaginings. Do you want to, we're going to take a listen to it. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this Well, this one? is, this is a, I like to call this musical the musical where you kind of check your, your brain at the door. <laughs> it's that <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, it's a pop musical, and it's meant to be fun and fluffy. And the songs are fun and fluffy, I like to think. Uh, this one here to the top, uh, this is Jenny Lacking now. Jenny Lacking, uh, we've heard the story before. She's a uh, high school senior, and she uh, aspires to be a pop singer. Um, she's a very dedicated girl and uh, a good student and, and all that stuff. And, of course, Johnny Richardson is her alter ego, who is the boy that she is attracted to. And he is not a good student, and he's also a very good musician, but very... Uh, anti-school uh, musician, you know, he, he, his, his approach is just pick up the instrument and wail, and he's very good at doing that. And uh, part of the plot is that they kind of learn from each other, you know, the importance of both sides of that, uh, you know, yin and yang of, of, of good music and good writing and all of that stuff. Uh, this is the song to the top appears at the mall concert 
where she actually is discovered by two agents from Columbus Records. And uh, she's singing of her desire, you know, to reach the top, and also of her relationship with Johnny Richardson. Okay, and who's singing on this recording? This is a homegrown thing. Yeah. Marcy's singing it. Uh, I threw on a drum machine, so this is nothing to, uh, to you know, write home about. But it's fun, and, and that's the way we the way it was when it was in development, so that's what it is. It is what it is. All right, let's take a listen. Those things will never stop me Defeat, lost and surprised No one is gonna try me down I feel my life is changing It's time for me to make my move now My attitude I'm rearranging Cause I've got something to prove To the Sense of pride. No one is gonna try me down. I'm rising, I'm rising, I'm rising, rising to the top. I'm rising, I'm rising, never gonna stop. Ain't no disguising. This girl is rising to the top. All right, so that was To the Top from Wild Imaginings. Now, I also understand that the two of you used to perform in Atlantic City as a, as a duo. Is that right? We did, actually. That's, yes, we did. What a is that like? <laughs> um, you know, it's not as glamorous as you think. <laughs> what you hear the was, machines going we off were, while you're trying to, you know. Yeah, no, but we were at Trump's Castle, I think, for eight weeks. Yeah. Okay, 
and we had to find our own place to live. They didn't put us up. So we lived in this big, beautiful old house, which was owned by these two bachelors, these very <laughs> odd men. Their, their parents had left to them. Their parents had passed away. Yeah, so it was house, filthy. This big Victorian house. Right. It was a big, beautiful house yeah. on the beach. I mean, it was beautiful, but... It was, but they were kind disgusting. of like these slacker so, guys, and they. So the, right. <laughs> we'd, we'd walk into the house, they'd be watching porno flicks, <laughs> and we had to, you know, uh, we had to yeah. live with it. We, of course, we didn't know this of course, ahead of time. We had no right. idea. We just answered an ad. No, Sid Bernstein. Oh, oh, you mean no, an, no, an ad for the, to get for the, to stay um, right. at the house. But um, actually, it was Sid right. Bernstein who got us into Atlantic City. Um, set up the audition. He, yeah, he set us all up for that. But. Um, then we would work at, you know, we would be at, it was Trump's Castle, it right? It was the Cats, and, though, um, the cats, And the Cats Ruffle. But um, it was eight hours that we had to be there a day, and we would sing, we would perform for an hour straight, and then we'd have an hour break, then we'd perform for another hour, and that would go on all day. And all they gave us was this teeny-weeny little dressing room area that was barren, and we're not gamblers, so we... This was Trump's <laughs> Castle. This was Trump's Castle, and this times. was... Actually, when it, it just opened up and there was this rather uh, slovenly-looking man that would be walking around uh, making sure that everything was right, and it was Donald Trump. <laughs> and uh, uh, he definitely had a makeover over the years. Like, let's put it that way. He did not look like – he didn't have the hair doing this and that, you know, and the nice outfits and everything. He he was, looked like a guy who was stressed out. And, and, but he uh, – Not obviously, anymore. Obviously, he's, <laughs> right. he's doing very well. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was and interesting. We, it, it, yeah, and then we, we've done Fox That was Ivana Trump used to walk around, too. She used to, yeah, yeah. Ivana was there. Ivana they were was married there. at the time. And um, and then uh, uh, last year we were performing at his golf club in Briarcliff, and there he was with his new wife. Um, right. <laughs> so <laughs> we keep running into him. <laughs> so how do, um, how do kids get involved in the Little Fig stage? And this is for, there's a high school program and a younger We have a, well. yeah, we have a young children's program as well, but they, they rehearse in Katona at the Harvey School, and they perform there as well. That performance is May 17th for them, for the little kids. Um, we have a great website, littlefigstage.com. Very easy to spell, littlefig, <laughs> F-I-G, stage, all one word, dot com. Um, and there's lots of pages on that, and from that you can link to my pages, Michael's pages, or, and our personal websites. And um, yeah, we're gonna do a new show in. Uh, we'll start a new show in September. And we're, we're, we're and actively we're looking for scripts. soliciting scripts now. We, we're looking for, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a, you know, I've uh, talked to some of the BMI people. And hopefully they'll be sending us a lot of scripts because there was so much talent at BMI. You know the, the, the once again the workshop, the musical theater workshop. But it's not limited to that. I mean, we anyone out there that is a writer, and of any age too, someone maybe had a musical on the shelf for a very long time, would like to see it developed and and looked at, or especially new writers too, always yeah. looking for people but, right out of but college. But age appropriate, where um, we're not. We don't want to go there too much. I mean, right. we, want, we want freedom, artistic freedom. We don't want to set right. too many parameters and limits. Right, but, you know, the language. Well, that's something we can we determine once we careful. get it, yeah. you know, too. And what kind of demo, do, uh, for, the, for the music, what kind of demo do you need to hear? It could be uh, like a to-the-top demo. It doesn't <laughs> have to be anything really fancy. It could be a yeah, homegrown like thing. Piano as, vocal. As long as we, piano vocal is absolutely fine, you know, it's, we, you'll be able yeah. to hear the song. 
purely from that. And of course, we might listen to it and put our, uh, you know, our, well, our signature is, on which it. Which is what we did with June. Yeah. You know, I read her script. I said, look, this is, I need more characters. I had 13 kids, 13 students, and I wanted them all to be featured. So I said, we need some more characters. Um, right. You know, uh, let's go here with this. This isn't developed. We need this developed. And then she worked on it and gave it back to me. And that's how it works. So, um, you know, send us anything and um, we'll, we'll take it. And if, if there's a little bit of potential there, we'll see. And we'll say, you know, for can the we writer, try it this yeah, way? Yeah, and know? from the writer's point of view, it's so important. It's so exciting to see uh, another artistic eye look at the whole thing and, and then change it. Um, and see it develop. I get excited even in rehearsals with Wild Imaginings to see what Marcy comes up with and she, you know, with staging and all that. And wow, that's great. It makes the scene so much better. Uh, and the kids too, their input. And kids are great because they'll tell you if something's working or not. Kids are so honest and wonderful that way. And uh, we've changed a lot and, of things. And with inexperienced children, with students, um, they they can't make something bad look great like a, a really good actor can. <laughs> okay, so if it's bad and then the kid's doing it, yeah. it's really bad. You know, it's like that's when Michael will say, you know what? <laughs> this isn't going to work. I have to rewrite this. That's right. And that he did. He wrote night. two scenes this morning. That's right. <laughs> and we emailed them to the kids. So and why, we, does, you know, why does she sound so bad with that? Oh, oh my God, the, you know. The writing. The writing wasn't was, good. Right. It's not the, the kid. It's not the actor. It was the writing. And, and, uh, Actually, with Weedle, it was great. I sat down with one girl, and we, we literally looked at the lyrics to the song, and, you know, together we figured out, you know, this is what the mother would be saying. And this is a little kid that's, you know, telling, uh, you know, well, that's 14 years old. 14 years old, but I'm saying, you know, 14. <laughs> yeah, that's great. All right, so that's littlefigstage.com. Yep. Um, Wild Imaginings is the 29th and 30th at the Players Club Theater. The Players Theater. The Players Theater. On McDougal Street. Players Club, totally different. Tickets at theatermania.com for tickets. You type in Wild Imaginings or you go to the Players Theater website or you go to our website. That's exciting. Theater Mania. All right. Well, thank you. Marcy Ellen Shine and Michael Ficcelli. Yeah, that's it. Thank you so much for stopping by and talking about your company and best of luck as you continue forward. Thank you, Michael. And we love your podcast. And I tell all my kids that they can learn everything about theater by listening to it. Thank you for doing this. Great. Thanks, Michael. On the boards. Sweet Mama String Bean, the new theater biography about the self, uh, the, same, the person of the same name, has been performing at the New Federal Theater. And we have got a great trio here with us. We've got the mother daughter team who plays the same character, older and younger, Marishka S. Phillips and Sandra Reeves Phillips. Mm -hmm. And yes. we've also got the producer, Woody King, here with us. Hey! <laughs> so we're going to have some fun. How are you guys doing? Oh, oh good. good. Oh, we've been shaking our thing over there at the theater. Yeah. I mean, we need New York to come on and party with us. Yeah. <laughs> Let us tell them the story about Miss Ethel Waters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, Ethel Waters, known as Sweet Mama String Bean. Uh, for those of us who aren't familiar with her, um, maybe you can start off by telling us a little bit about her life. Well, Ethel Waters uh, was born in Chester, Pennsylvania and raised up in like the streets, really, of Philadelphia in that area. But as a teenager, she migrated very early to New York to become this wonderful singer. But she started in uh, the minstrel shows. She started traveling up and down the road with the Hill Sisters and finally wound up here 
at Edmund's uh, uh, cellar. cellar as a in jazz Harlem. blues singer and became this big star as a teenager. But there was a lot of abuse. Ethel was a child that was born out of a terrible situation of rape for a teen, from a teenage mother. And so that need for her was always there, the, the need to be loved, to be accepted. And there was a lot of rage and anger within her spirit, and which, which makes it so amazing how she was able to accomplish what she did on her own without guidance, without the love, without the family nurturing. I know her grandmother raised her, but yet that mother-daughter, that father-daughter relationship never, ever really matured the way she wanted it to. Mm. Yet in this show, which is great, we're able in her dream recreate some of her youth through Mariska, who's my daughter playing opposite Ethel, I relive some of my past to bring past to bring me to the future to join eventually Billy Graham Crusade and acknowledge my salvation. And as me, Mariska, playing the younger version of Ethel, I get to really connect to her tenacity and her drive and her passion for this art form of, of singing and, and performing. The, the love that she gets from the audience really drives her. And I, I, that's what I really connect to playing this character. And um, I have a great time exploring all of these emotions. and oh, Well, we've got a great cast, which is amazing. It's an ensemble that plays multiple roles. We've got C.J. Hardy Phillip, who plays the mother, Josephine Baker. She's all over the place, <laughs> wonderful. Freddie Washington. <laughs> then, then there's uh, Gary E. Vincent, who, uh, who's our fabulous dancer, singer, reverend man. Daryl Javon Williams, who's singing, uh, doing a Playing takeoff. Playing the piano. <laughs> he does this wonderful comedic drag queen. Uh, drag queen. <laughs> <laughs> He's playing the piano. So... We've got all of this, and thank God we had Beth Turner, who had the vision. Thank goodness we had Elizabeth Van Dyke, mm. who was bold enough and brave enough to direct us on, a, on an edge. She let us explore. She explored with us. She cried with us. We prayed together. We did all this together. But at the helm of this ship is Big Man. <laughs> <laughs> Big man who's been here forever, giving us a chance to explore our talents, is our presenter, our producer, Mr. Woody King of the New Federal Theater. When you, when you say big man, does that mean big in... <laughs> 300 pounds oh. or two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I'm uh, not touching that one. Uh, okay. I, I don't put you at a pound over 299. Uh, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> okay. I, I, I just got to tell your listeners and your audience about um, uh, Sandra Reese Phillips. Uh, she's appeared in numerous plays at New Federal, and um, she has appeared in a major, major American work we were so proud of called Champion, uh, where she played Bessie Smith. And so it is amazing that way back then she talked about her daughter was in uh, was going into the business and so uh, when we started putting this together you know how you get this call and said you know who just walked in the door and I said grab her if you can <laughs> <laughs> you know and uh, so Sandra Reese Phillips and Mariska 
uh, 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 one of the major, major regions this play is going on. And in the uh, unbelievable uh, acceptance that it has received, mm. um, they are wonderful artists. And I had just seen uh, Mariska in a play the week before, ironically. You know, <laughs> I don't know if she was going back to Europe. She'll tell you about that. But, uh, uh, but Sandra Reeves, is, she's done plays with us. She's worked with us. Uh, she always comes back. Uh, but I think um, by doing these biography plays, we give an audiences a look at uh, American artists that would not uh, that are that are taken from the radar screen. Mm-hmm. You got to understand that uh, Ethel Waters came along really at the same time as Bessie Smith, oh, yes. um, Lena Horne, uh, Ma Rainey, and those people, Louis Armstrong, through a period when it was unbelievably difficult just to exist, mm-hmm. and they were able to transcend that. And Ethel Waters was able to go from being a major American singer to a major American actress. Yes, on stage, yeah. screen, television, yes. she. Did Mamba's Daughters on Broadway, Cabin in the Sky. She did uh, what was remember, the other? Remember the wedding. Remember the wedding. Her TV show. She had a, yes, I mean, and just all all these wonderful things. But her 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 grandeur, and I think her love was when she actually discovered Billy Graham. You know, because she had done everything she needed to do, but that fulfillment was not there. And many of us as artists don't have that fulfillment. We're always needing that applause, people to give you a pat on the back, people to say yes. But when you accept your spirituality, no matter what form of religion it is, there is a certain peace, there's a certain joy that goes with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's where I'm so happy that we cover the whole gamut yeah. of her emotions from anguish, from sorrow to... Rejection. Rejection, joy, abuse. Use whatever it is we've we've covered it in this show, and we want and we want your listeners to flock down to the New Federal Theater at four six six Grand Street on the mm-hmm. Lower East Side of Manhattan, not Brooklyn, Lower East Side of mm-hmm. Manhattan, uh, and see um, uh, Sweet Mama Stringbean. This we- is accessible transportation. Uh, it's a comfortable theater. Uh, it is, it, you know, I know people say, oh, God, we're going to go off off Broadway. Uh, where are we going? We're going to a little dive? We, no, no, no. This, is, <laughs> this building is uh, state of the arts. It's a block long. Uh, you know, it's got four or five theaters in it. And uh, unbelievably comfortable. Yes, hmm. and we, we're performing this week. Our, our our We don't know if this is our last week, but we're trusting everybody will get there and we don't have to close. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wednesday through Sunday. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is at 7.30. Saturday is at 3 and 8 p.m. Sunday is a 3 o'clock matinee. So we've got something for everybody. And to get, uh, you can do credit cards at 212-279-4200. Or you can uh, call for information at 212-353-1176. Okay, you're trying to make my job incredibly <laughs> easy. Yeah. <laughs> but I do have a couple questions I'd like to get okay. in on, on here. Number one, I mean, I mean, there's clearly a lot of music in this show. Is oh, this yeah. a traditional musical, or is this more that you're utilizing her songs to... I, I guess I, I, I don't know yet if this is... Is this a musical, or is this a play with music? I would say it's a play with music. Yes. Wouldn't you? I, because it's not all focusing on the music. There's music, dance, and lots and lots of drama. But it's 15, <laughs> it's 15 songs in the play. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's a significant amount. Yeah. 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 
It's a, a play with a lot of music. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's all music that Ethel loved or made famous. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Songs like Am I Blue, mm-hmm. Eye on the Sparrow. Shake That Thing. Yes. Um, I, I have a question. Oh, St. Louis Blues. When you, when you were mentioning a lot of the names of Sweet Mama String Beans, Ethel, you know, con- contemporaries, a, a, a different thought occurred to me, completely off topic, but I'm wondering maybe if you, if you could shed some light. It's clear that probably more so in the African-American community than others, that there is this tendency to take on complete other names. Um, I'd even compare this to a lot of the rappers now, Lil' Kim and you know Puff Daddy, you know, that, are, that are, these are people in the thing. Is there, I mean, what is it about the community that has, there's definitely much more colorful names within the well, community than... Well, don't at that see a time, whole lot of like us old whiteies, you know, mm. you know, calling ourselves something. Well, at that time, a lot curious. of a lot of the artists did have a nickname per se. For instance, they like they call yeah. at the water "Sweet Mama String Bean" so because she was so agile and so lanky and just moved all the time, and she was very expressive in her delivery, whether it was drama or, or whatever. And then Bessie Smith was was the empress. Ma Rainey was the mother of the blues. Billie Holiday was called Lady Day. So uh, Josephine Baker was called La Becquelle, you know. So they all had these little nicky-nicky names. But they didn't... They didn't yeah, nicknames, uh, that's probably the right... The yeah, right yeah, yeah, but they did not adapt them. Uh, they did not name themselves. Mm-hmm. Someone else named them. Yes. You know, Lester Young named Lady Day, Lady Day, you a lady. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, so uh, with Ethel Waters... Um, you know, uh, Marisha can tell you uh, the character made up another name uh, <laughs> when she won this contest. But what happens is, uh, like, um, you know, uh, Sonnery said, someone saw this tall, thin, skinny girl like a string bean and said, oh, uh, string bean. They, uh, <laughs> you know, you know it's probably hitting on a sweet mama string bean. You know, you know, you know, so those... Those names, oh, okay. And so whoever the promoter was, that could, wow, that could really get people to come in and mm-hmm. buy tickets and see them live, uh, sell their records. You, yeah. know, you know, it's like anything else. You know, it's like uh, they are selling images, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the rappers, they sell gangster rap, you know. So if they have bad boy names and uh, all those things, when they are most of them uh, out of Howard University or their United Negro College uh, theaters, <laughs> you know. Well, I know sometimes I've been called Earth Singer, uh, High Priestess of Soul. So wherever you are geographically in that area, area where you're singing or what you're performing, the news, the media help you name yourselves too sometimes. Yeah. So it all comes from a source that's wonderful. It's all good. Yeah, it's just, it's just one thing that just now occurred to me because like, I, I have always been like, why do the rappers pick such crazy <laughs> names? And then just it hit me just all of a sudden that this has been going on for, for a long, long time. time. <laughs> this is not, not you know. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm also going to be curious how you find, have you have you two ever had a chance to work together uh, on stage before? Is Mother daughter, we, we've toured together, and uh, first show we toured together was uh, the musical Raisin when we went to Europe. I was 13, <laughs> she made me do it, <laughs> and uh, then we've toured with some of the one woman shows that I've done where she and my son has toured with me also. I've opened for her in cabarets in, in Germany and in Paris. I do three or four songs and then introduced her and cruises as well, yeah. 
But, but there's nothing not like in this. this dynamic. I say, and I'm going to put it very, very straightforward. I, first of all, as a mother, as an actress, to be opposite playing my, with my daughter, Marishka, is the icing on the cake, the height of my career. Wow. And if I should, I said, God does not owe me anything else. Everything oh, else is dessert from here on out. I'm telling you the truth. I'm, I'm, I'm just awestruck that they chose us to be with each other. And that goes to wonderful casting people, too, who saw also Lawrence Evans, who, who, oh, who yeah. called Marishka. Well, and, what happened was Lawrence came to see me. Well, he came to Medea? see Medea at the National Black Theater, and I was a featured chorus, woman of Corinth. Excellent. I saw it. Excellent work. Excellent work. Thank you, Mr. King. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after the show, he approached me. And he says, well, I'm getting ready to cast this project. Da-da-da-da. I was like, well, tell me about it. And after he told me about it, I was like, I'd love to come in. I was like, well, I don't know if you're interested, but my mother would make a great older Ethel. He was like, she wouldn't do it. Would she? <laughs> Should I ask her? I was like, well, you know, we've been wanting to do something together, and this just might be but the, com- the ticket. The camaraderie yeah. in this production, though, is what makes it the success that it is at this time, though. Not just the the, the words or the music. It's the, the connection with the artist, that we all love what we do. We respect each other's talents, and we bring something to the table that's wonderful. Wonderful, a, a piece of American pie. Yes, and yes, and yes. if I may add something, you know, that the height for me about this production is all my life I've grown up a backstage baby, watching her on stage and being like, oh, wow, that was cool. Da, da, da. <laughs> and for me, I feel to finally be at a place artistically where someone saw fit that I could play hold my own enough and play opposite her. I think that's amazing for me. And and we respect each other. I have my process of learning uh, something. She has her process of learning. And then we, you know, talk about, okay, we have to be one. So how can we pull it together right here? How can we, like, really merge right here? And we'll sit and we'll digest it and talk about it. And then we'll come up with something. Ah, I got it. Uh, so it's been an interesting journey, just that alone, bringing the two of us artistically together and, and, and bonding on that level. Yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, as a producer of the play, you know, I'm sitting out there and I've seen the show, you know. You know, you know how hard it is. I <laughs> Good thing you've seen the show. Yeah. I've, seen it, I've, I've seen it about, uh, I guess, nine or ten times, you know. And uh, <laughs> I sit in different seats in the theater and, the clo- and I sit closer and closer and closer to the front row, you know. And uh, sometimes uh, Mariska will finish a song and remember, this is in her mother's, the older Ethel's mind, right? Yeah, and the audience will start screaming and whistling, and the older Ethel kind of smiles. And I don't know if it's because that's my daughter. <laughs> or, 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 or was I that bad when I was young? <laughs> you know? And I just love it. You, you, oh, you, he beat you. you. He beat you. And people be looking at me because I go, ah! <laughs> <laughs> and, and sometimes, you know, uh, Mariska has to chastise her mother, you know, for doing so and so and so. And she want to go further, but it's really my mother chastised. <laughs> so she's oh, so okay, and so and so. Is that a note, Mr. No, King? No, 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 I, no. You know, but, but, amp it up. No, 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 no. It's, it's <laughs> no. the beauty of it because you're chastising yourself as you get older and you really can't do that. 
You know, so your character goes to a certain point and it's like, oh, God, I recognize that's me I'm putting down. You know, <laughs> you know? so I love those moments, you know, mm-hmm. that, because they're intrinsic. They're organic to uh, mm-hmm. the piece. And the audience, uh, I mean, just laps it up. They, mm-hmm. you know, as they when they realize, oh, that's a daughter, that's real, they look at it. Oh, I see. That's she playing herself older. She's playing herself <laughs> younger. You know, so uh, the conceit is awesome. Uh, Beth Turner, who created oh. this, we've been working on this play for, I guess, eight and a half, nine years. We've been working on this play. I mean, we've been through readings. We've been through everything. And one day, I was sitting there. I said, wait a minute. Why are we doing it? Why don't we just do a production? It's either going to Rise or fall. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be what it is. Mm. And thank God it's a major, <laughs> major hit. Yeah. <laughs> New York's been good to us. Yeah. Yeah. All right, now it isn't running a lot longer, so I would like to definitely get in a couple minutes. And because the New Federated Theater, New Federal, New Federal Theater uh-huh. has been running a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah. We started in 1970. This is our 38th year. Uh, we have not missed a season for 38 years. So and I think that's some sort of accomplishment. Yes, it is. And uh, what's kind of your mission with the... Uh, to integrate um, minorities and women into the mainstream of American theater. It's been our mission from the beginning. And you can look at the people who we've been able to pass through our theater. And uh, I'm just hoping that uh, someone come out and say, Oh, my God, Mariska, starring our movie. And, you know, and she'll say... I don't know. Let me see. Let me, Let me think. ask Ooh, Mr. King. <laughs> um, and she stars in this movie like Denzel Washington, like Morgan Freeman. Mm-hmm. They get their Academy Awards, and they all call her, hey, man, yeah. they're going to give me an award mm-hmm. for like what I used to do down there 25 years ago. You know what I mean? I've got three Woody Awards already that's <laughs> named after him from the St. Louis Black Repertory Theater of productions I've done. They've honored him there. So you just look at how... He's influenced the business, and uh, I'm, I'm grateful to be a part of the family, you know. All right, so it's the New Federal Theater, Sweet Mama String Bean, and uh, you can get information at newfederaltheater.com. And, uh, org, isn't it? Or is it org? The new, org is our website. Okay. Uh, our email, if people want to get in touch with us, is uh, newfederaltheater at aol.com. Or they can order tickets at 212-279-4200. Just come down. We will welcome everybody. (laughs) (laughs) So, Mariska, Sandra, and Woody, thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Coming down and talking about the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Top of the Trades. The Drama League and Outer Critics Circle both announced their nominees for the 2007-8 season, and there were a lot of surprises, including Young Frankenstein really heavily leading the tally on both of those. However, things are expected to be a little bit different, as these being a bellwether for the Tony nominations, as two predominant productions, In the Heights and Passing Strange, both came out off-Broadway last season, which these awards take into account off-Broadway, and thus they were ineligible for this season. So there could be a lot of surprises come Tony nominations. Casting for the new, as-yet-untitled Sam Mendes feature film is complete, with Jeff Daniels, Allison Janney, and Catherine O'Hara topping out the list. The film, which stars Maya Rudolph and John Krasinski as expecting parents rushing across America to find someplace to call home for their new family, will begin filming this week in Connecticut with locations in Arizona and Florida. 
New York got its first peek of the Billy Elliot Boys this week at a press performance. The Olivier-winning production will play its first Broadway performance on October 1st. The cast of three young boys that will be alternating the title role are David Alvarez, Kirill Kulish, and Trent Kowalik. The Elton John musical was a huge success in the UK and on the West End, and producers are hoping for the same in America. The young men were greeted with great fanfare for their unveiling performance. Curtain Call Hey, well, thanks for sticking to the end of this incredibly jam-packed performance. Again, if you're still listening, you make sure you go to broadwaybullet.com and sign up as a user so you can get on our mailing list and go to our Facebook page. The link is right there in the front of broadwaybullet.com and uh, become a fan because that'll allow us a lot more interactive tools as we uh, go forward. So in any case... I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and we've got some great stuff lined up for next episode. I don't want to spoil it in case something falls through, but we might actually have a couple of stars on the next episode. So, yeah. So, uh, tell all your friends. um, Check out the Broadway Bullet Almost an Evening. Get those discount tickets by going to almostanevening.com slash broadwaybullet. $35 tickets, tons of Oscars, funny show. Check it out. And I will see you next time. We come out every second and fourth Thursday of the month. And thanks for hopping on board. about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that, to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And, if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, Go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.